Just like a guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling County Council continues to grow and encourages vaccinations. County Council also passed a single EMS provider for Anderson County last week. City of Anderson annexes an additional 323 acres for a proposed subdivision. There's new superintendents for school districts 2 and 4, and they're ready for the new year. And school district 5, Superintendent Tom Wilson talks about the year ahead and the plans to move some of the senior administration um, offices downtown for school district 5. There's a new leader for voter registrations and elections in Anderson County. The historic Anderson Fountain is now in the hands of historic renovators and South Carolina has begun the process of redistricting. All this and more on this edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. And it has been another great week in Anderson. The humidity has some goldfish swimming out of their bowls and the heat chases most of us indoors, but it is summer in our southern city, so to expect anything else is a little bit foolhardy. As I said last week, the payoff for this is summer tomatoes, corn, peaches, okra, squash, and other garden goodies. So take advantage of those now while you can because harvest of some of those is already beginning to slow down and the days are growing shorter. After more than a year, live theater has returned to the area with the Milltown Players Steel Magnolias and the Market Theater's Downtown Performance of Mamma Mia. Um, the Downtown Block Party in Anderson's back, Summer Nights in Iva, and again, there's a horn of plenty at the Farmer's Market. So there's plenty of good reasons to enjoy this, the city despite this brutal dog days and heat and humidity. One of the things is the good economic news coming from the county. Uh, there's another $150 million in new investment and 125 jobs with an average salary ranging from $21 to $29 an hour. Again, good news for those in Anderson County looking for a job that pays a living wage, but maybe a challenge for those businesses that do not. Perhaps a change for those companies that can't afford to pay uh, living wages day to day, they could do profit sharing, so at the end of the year their folks would share in the bounty when they do well. Just an idea. Expansions, there's work on the trail connecting the uh, ANMED track on South Carolina 81 to the Civic Center. That's well underway, and there's other news and updates as part of my latest interview with Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns, who brings us up to date on what's going on in the county. Uh, it's been a busy week in this month, but county council's agreed to a new unified countywide EMS system. Uh, what do need, people need to know about this, and how soon will that be in place? Uh, it really goes into effect September the 1st, so there's a great deal of work that is taking place to get ready for that. The meeting was last Tuesday. They made that decision, and it is our job to implement that decision. And we have begun the process by advertising for paramedics. We have received a great number of applications for paramedics. Uh, what this is going to do, in essence, is really double the amount of emergency vehicles on the road. A private contractor will handle the basic transport, but what the county will do will have quick response vehicles, which are things like Tahoes, and they will have paramedics. They're different levels on emergency assistance you can receive. Paramedic is the top, and we will have those stationed pretty much where they are in the county right now, and hopefully they will, well not hopefully, they will be on first on the scene, and then if transport is necessary, transport will be, be right behind there. If it's necessary, the paramedic will ride with the uh, ambulance back to the hospital, but hopefully we're going to greatly improve our, our response. It was a very difficult decision for council. A lot of nice people work for rescue squads, done a lot of work for a lot of years, but that was the decision county council made, and we're going to make sure it's implemented correctly, 
and like I mentioned earlier with twice the number of vehicles on the road and basically in the same locations that they were and uh, we're in a dead run to make it happen. Any idea how many paramedics will suddenly become county employees? I don't know but uh, one thing the county has when you have county paramedics paramedics in a lot of the rescue squads in a lot of places don't have uh, access to the insurance county employees did and they will also be eligible for a state retirement now lots of squads had 401ks and, and different arrangements like this but they will be eligible for state retirement and another thing that councils instructed us to do if you've been a paramedic somewhere for 15 years uh, we will you know we will take your seniority into question we can't give you 15 years in the retirement system but the council will told us to take that into consideration and don't treat people like they just walked in the door and they're rookies. So a lot of moving parts to this, but we're we're doing what they told us to do. And there's a couple other things that were sort of lost in that long, lively council meeting. One was uh, council approved recommendation by Councilman Glenn Davis to honor the late Gracie Floyd by renaming the event center at Broadway Lake after her. Uh, several council members who'd worked with Floyd seemed to think she would really have appreciated this honor. Um, and she was instrumental in getting that center out there, right? That was. Before it was the Gracie Floyd Event Center, it was the Gracie Floyd Event Center. She pushed to have that building built, and Mr. Davis wanted to honor her, and the rest of the council did because it was a unanimous vote. And uh, Mr. Davis contacted the family and requested their permission and support before he did that, and he did that. And then he brought it to council, and like I said, it was unanimous. And that was something that council could act on without having to get permission for a road or some of the other things that have been from the state, right? Absolutely, because that's that's a building. The county owns that building, and they can name that building what they want. The other thing that seemed to be very quiet in the reporting on that meeting was that council proved, approved uh, working with new and existing companies to add about 150 more jobs with pays from 20 to $29 an hour and about $50 million in capital investment. Uh, there were a lot of economic items on that agenda, and uh, there are a lot more economic development items fixing to happen in Anderson County. We have two really exciting announcements, one that could come any day, uh, plastics company. It's going to be probably about 120 jobs, really well-paying jobs. And another one we're working with is a hydrophonic operation, and we're equally excited about that. So that'll be something we don't have. And again, it will help us diversify the economy in Anderson County. But getting back to your EMS thing, there's one key provision in there, the partnership between Anderson County and ANMED. And ANMED, which council approved the other night, a letter of intent, we have to go to formal contract, was $1.4 million to assist with staffing the paramedic program. And that also brings in with it medical control from the hospital, which is going to be key. And some of the things we hope to do relatively quick will be like telemedicine. But, you know, telemedicines, you go on there and, and you tell the doctor, it hurts when I do that, and they tell you don't do that. You know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about telehealth capabilities in vehicles where you can actually have an emergency room physician on that screen telling you what to do, how to do it, and they actually know what's coming in before you get there. So there are a lot of new twists and turns in this. Will it be bumpy to get it in, in shape? Yes, but, but we will get it in shape. And 
since you mentioned that, we'll switch back over the economic development thing. What's the unemployment rate looking like? I haven't seen unemployment rate this month is 4.3, but I'm happy to report that 1,300 additional Anderson County citizens found work last month. So we're very excited about that. Another thing we looked at the other day, and again, when I use numbers, these are not my numbers, but in the last 10 years, the uh, average wage in Anderson County has gone from $13 to almost $21. And, and council's very excited and happy about that because that was the intent, that was the mission, that was the purpose to bring up that average wage up to a higher level. And you do that by working with good companies who pay good salaries as opposed to just, hey, anybody come on in and we want you here. And these companies that are paying north of $21, $22 an hour are not having any trouble finding workers, are they? No, we have some companies paying $35 an hour. I mean, you know. And they're not saying we're having to shut down because we don't have enough workers. No, no. They're doing well. But I can promise you this. Everybody in Anderson County is looking for workers. Everybody in Anderson County. Just ride down the road. Michelin, they have openings. Electrolux has openings. First Quality has openings. Just about everybody has an opening. Arthrex has a sign-up hiring now. So, you know, this I keep, I keep saying this. This is the perfect time to get on the ground floor to have a rewarding and successful career. Because these are mainline companies. These aren't fly-by-night companies. And they're going to be here. And they're going to be here. Because what they make is almost recession-proof. Well, we got through the budget, and we just had this big issue with EMS. What, any huge challenges coming up next for council that people need to look for? <clears throat> Implementing EMS is going to be a bear, but we're going to get it done. Council told us to do it, so we're going to do that. Integrating all of these new features is going to be important. Staffing up is going to be important. But we also have a lot of challenges, but we also uh, have some projects that council has uh, requested that we do. Councilman Wright is very big on uh, Kid Venture, as well as Councilman Glenn Davis. Uh, Kid Venture is about, we have patched, held together, and everything, but we're going to be doing a complete rework of Kid Venture. It's going to be about a million dollar project. It will be the only ADA playground in, in Anderson County. Uh, the city of Anderson is going to contribute a significant amount of money to make that possible and we will be using a lot of accommodations tax funds which can be used there and there are some grant programs that have opened up on the federal level to fund tourism and recreation activities so we're really excited our goal is to have that open the brand new revamped kid venture by Memorial Day and, and we can do that and we can get that done and so we're very excited about that. So what? Finally got a timetable then. Yeah, but it's going to also expand the size of Kid Venture tremendously. And we're also going to have bathrooms out there. Equally as important is uh, the park revamp we're going to do in Wellington, which is in the Homeland Park area. And we have a major project going in that area, and we're about to get that Wellington Park underway. And we won't memorial day to be the opening day for that to happen too plus we're also looking for and always finding money for dolly cooper park as you know we just unveiled the master plan for dolly cooper park and also happy to report that we have four hundred thousand dollars that uh, representative westcox got 
to go that 350 he got out of the state budget for more improvements at Dolly Cooper and $50,000 contribution from New Springs to put a picnic shelter out there. So we're excited about that. All of that stuff is underway now to get that ready to go. Uh, the amphitheater out at Green Pond is moving along very well, so we're excited about that. And uh, we're looking for somebody to have the first play at the amphitheater in Green Pond, so I think that will be kind of nice. And who will have the first concert? We're also getting ready for our Celebrate Anderson, which will happen the day before Labor Day, Sunday night. As you know, it's free. I think it's going to be really good this year because we're going to have rides for small children in front of the Civic Center. The cost of that will be nothing. And we're also expecting to have a huge balloon presence, which looks like we're about to pull that together. And John Michael Montgomery will be the headliner. The winner of the United Way's American Idol competition is going to be singing. And as always, the T.L. Hanna Jazz Band will be opening up. So we're hoping to have a full day on Sunday and maybe even something on Saturday afternoon with the balloons. So we've got that that we're working on. And as you know, that's a celebration for everybody in Anderson County. And I forgot to mention we'll have the fireworks and a lot of the traditional stuff. But we'll be doing some tweaking to put a little few things into play on that. So we've got that coming up. We have untold number of sewer projects that we're working on. And hopefully we're getting close to some of them, but we've already authorized some projects. We finished the Wellpine sewer project. We're revamping the five-mile sewer line, which nobody wants to hear about sewer lines. But it's probably the main artery for development in Anderson County. So we have that. We have new people coming into uh, building new spec buildings. Commercial activity is increasing all across the county. And I'm glad to say that it's, it's getting into all the county areas. So we're busy doing that or Let's assisting in that. Before we get too far away from the parks, we got there's 30 something parks in the county. Yes. You mentioned some of them. Yes. That that study that was done last year, did that kind of set the stage for how the parks are being prioritized and what's going to be done at them? Yes. But and another thing that's helping us with that tremendously is that our accommodations tax has rebounded quite well from the recession. I mean, when we had that high school championship fishing tournament, we had 1,200 people in boats. That doesn't count, count mama, daddy, grandmother, children, everybody. Everything in Anderson was filled up. You could feel the ripple in the economy from all those people there. And you also couldn't get in a restaurant or get a hamburger anywhere. But that feeds that accommodations tax, which has to be used for things that promote tourism and recreation. So, yeah, that was a shot in the arm, just like all the other ones are. Doing preparations for having... a the Bassmaster Classic here, so we've got that coming up, and there's so much going on. Still stress this to everybody, everybody in Anderson, Anderson County has six million dollars to help you catch up on your rent and or electric bills. We have partnered with AIM on that. If you are behind in your rent and your utilities, in a lot of cases we can help you with that money. That money came from the federal government. And we are, as I said, working with AIM to get that out. They're about to lift the eviction stay. And so if you're in that shape or you know somebody who is, or you talk to somebody, if I see three people in a group, I tell them, even if I know that they don't have that problem, but it is so difficult getting that word out, you don't have to be thrown out. 
and this is just as equally important for landlords. You know, they don't you, need a court order to go get help here. No, you just go to AIM and fill out an application, which is not burdensome, and lots and lots of people qualify, and you don't have to pay it back. So it helps the renters, it helps the landlords, it helps the economy. Lord, we don't need any more homeless people on the streets. And back up just a little bit too, you mentioned Green Pond and all the stuff that's continuing to go out there and, and booked all the way into next summer. Under the surrounding the lake, uh, what have you heard about uh, the shores of Asbury delays um, trying to get up and running? I understand they're working with DHEC and the U.S. Con uh, they work Corps with DHEC, and, the Corps of Engineers. They've had some stormwater issues which we have addressed. And so they're still hoping to get open this year. The weather, the rain has slowed them down tremendously. But as of yesterday, they were still moving forward. Uh, another thing that's just happened this week, the historic fountain that was in downtown Anderson, then at the museum, has been disassembled, being moved for restoration. Um, I don't guess there's any chance it'd ever come back downtown with it. There's always a chance of that, but the fountain was about to disappear. Right. It was rusted out. It was in horrible, horrible shape. And council knows that's one of the landmarks for Anderson County. And so we contracted with the same people who restored the Hunley. So the fountain was packed up this week. Uh, the little cherubs were cradled as they were carried out. And it is now in Charleston in a bath of some type of mixture so we can bring it back and preserve it for future generations. And the museum's working on their largest permanent exhibit? Yes, we're working on veterans in war, and that's going to be a huge major exhibit honoring veterans in Anderson County from all wars, everything, and it's going to be spectacular. But our museum is spectacular now, and if you haven't been there, I urge you to go. And if you're there, buy something at the museum shop, because that helps operate the museum. Kind of shifting gears, the South Carolina Senate said they're expecting to have redistricting done by October. Uh, I wonder how that'll impact Anderson County. It's going to be, redistricting is going to affect everybody. Here's the deal. Every 10 years you redistrict. I mean, every 10 years you do a census. That's in the Constitution of the United States. It's not like somebody said, why don't we do a census every 10 years? And in every 10 years you redraw the lines. What, is that, what are some of the possibilities? There's a lot of possibilities because of Anderson's rapid growth. You're going to see uh, changes in county council seats. You're going to see changes in house seats. You're going to be changes in Senate seats in Anderson County. Some districts may actually get smaller. Some may get larger. I mean, Powdersville continues to be the fastest growing spot in upstate South Carolina. And, and so, you know, with all the number of people there, that district's going to shrink. It has to shrink because they, ha yeah, they have to be balanced. And you have the same thing happening in, 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 in the Pendleton area coming down this way. And the city of Anderson with the growth occurring around the city of Anderson and in the city of Anderson. So it's going to be very interesting. But we can't do a doggone thing right now because we don't have census numbers. I was going to ask you, one of those and numbers... allegedly we will have them in September, which is very, very late for us to do what needs to be done. Because, you know, when you get them, the solution is that they are right then. Right. You really have to work to make it, to make it work well. But then, thank goodness, we can just be involved with county council, but the state will have to be involved with all of that other stuff. And it's also going to affect congressional districts. So it should be an interesting year. 
When was the last time county council lines were redrawn? Ten years ago. They weren't drawn much then. They didn't change much. They didn't then. have too much, but it's, everything was kind of static. So, you you know, you just tweak here, tweak there. But this is different. This is entirely different. Uh, we talked about the AIM thing. Um, let's talk about infrastructure. Everybody's talking about infrastructure. You mentioned the sewer things and the updates. Uh, what about road work? Is there somewhere citizens can find out what roads are being worked on? We, we put out that information on all the roads that are put out. You can look at our website. You can look at the Anderson Observer. We try to get that information out to everybody. Uh, we work closely with DOT, South Carolina Department of Transportation. We work closely with our C-Fund Committee, and we're doing what we can do. But we're also looking at new monies that are coming in from these uh, various programs, these rebuild programs that Congress has passed. We're making sure that we get every bit of money that we're supposed to get, and then if we can steal some from some other people who aren't using it, we'll get that money too. Has the needle moved on the county square property at all? Are any meetings scheduled? or? We... Still, still nothing that is absolutely perfect for that spot, and construction costs right now are so high, and there's so few people in construction, we can just tend to be a little, a little more patient. Would it be, I mean, would there be a problem with just grassing it over for now? Or uh, as a matter of fact, we have a study to, to uh, not a study, but we're looking at grassing it over right now, and and just making it a pretty green space for the time being. Get rid and, of Plywood Park, so yes, get, to call it. Yeah, get rid of Plywood Park. Uh, some of the countywide senior programs were put on hold during the pandemic year. Are they all back up and running full? Most of them are back up full, spe full speed ahead, and uh, we're very happy about that. And our, our special population programs are back full speed. Just about everything is back to normal, and we're, we're keeping an eye on, you know, what's going to happen. Cause I was going to ask you, is there a contingency plan in place? you got boxes of masks and everything ready? Oh, we, we, we got stuff. That we we have stuff. Well, several superintendents have indicated to me they're a little concerned coming back in the number of unvaccinated people because South Carolina is one of the lowest. Five hundred today, five hundred cases in South Carolina today. One of the lowest there vaccinated were, groups in the country. Yeah, well, this is get this is getting it doesn't need to get real again because everything now is going back very well, full speed, so everything's fine. Construction is uh, visible on the walking track that will eventually reach from the Civic Center to the AnMed Health Campus on 81. Uh, a lot of the actual track down toward the Civic Center is being paved. Any idea when they'll start working on the other end of that track? They've begun, the work doing a little, they've begun doing a little work on the 81 side. Okay, it'll go, come out on Kyle Springs Road down it'll there. Right? It'll come out there and then it'll hook down and go to the elementary school. And we're already, uh, the mayor of Clemson has expressed an interest and we have expressed an interest. Is it crazy to think about a trail from Clemson to Pendleton to Anderson? I don't think it's crazy. I think that might be a very good project. And the city, when they launch their trail program, and they're doing some of that now, I think that could be a really big tourist generator. And I think it'd be great for our citizens. I mean, you know, you've got a Swamp Rabbit Trail. People forget when we finish connecting the Civic Center to 81, we're going to have eight miles of trail. That's a big trail. The people who use it know it's there. The cyclists who use the East-West Park part, they know it's there. But, I mean, that's a brilliant start, so why stop there? And tons of people use the, the AnMed track already, so if you connected them. You connect and people it. use the Civic Center. You already got people in spots using it. Yeah, this way they can meet in the middle. One thing that a lot of people have been talking about lately, and I know I've been talking to people a lot about lately, 
I get a lot of questions on the relationship between the Anderson County Fire Commission and county government. Well, people don't understand that the county has nothing to do with the Anderson County Fire Commission. That fire commission, those members are appointed by the legislative delegation, the House members and the senators. They are completely separate from the county. It's odd. In some places, it's like is that. Is that unusual, though, in the state? It, it is kind of unusual, but it's not unheard of in South Carolina. But it all happens because these things, a lot of these things were started before home rule. And so that's what you have. And you have the Anderson County Fire Commission, and they work with all the other fire departments, but they don't work with Honeypath because that's funded by the town. You don't have Belton because it's funded by the town. You don't have Williamston because Williamston's funded by the town. So those are not under the fire commission rules and regulations, but just every other fire department is. That's why it's so confusing for people. It is confusing because we have people that come to us about the fire commission and we said, you need to talk to your legislative representative or the fire commissioners because we really don't have anything to do with and, that. And even the maps showing who's covered by what are a little more difficult to find than they should be. If you, don't, if you know where you live, but you don't know which fire department is your fire department, unless you're in the city somewhere, it's confusing. Yeah, well, well, the firemen know where the districts are. I promise you that. If you call 911, they'll tell you. If they, on yeah, fire. they'll know. The fire commission dispatcher, they know where you are. And you said a while ago that there's some uh, more economic development news coming. Is it anytime soon? Or you... Yeah, I'm expecting one press release today, but I'm probably not going to get it until Monday. And then another one in about, I'd say, 28 days. No, not 28 days, maybe 18 days. And part of that growth, I know... The, the, uh, Councilwoman Cindy Wilson gave a report Monday night about her, her group. They're trying to encourage growth in the county not to be high-density housing and stuff. We're starting Conserva to see conservation places. subdivisions. And uh, Council's been working on this for some time. I think they're getting closer to have a rule. And basically what that does is you leave a lot of green space in its most elemental form and you have more density with the houses. But they're closer together, but there's a whole lot of green space, and it's uh, something that we hope developers find desirable. There are examples of this. We have one that's going to take place out going out 28, uh, 28, uh, 24, going out in that direction. It's going to be based on those principles. So hopefully we'll have something before council to vote on in maybe a month, something like that. But land use is a big issue in Anderson County because everybody's coming here. We haven't talked about this in a while, but any movement on getting the monies to clean up the mill site to maybe expand town? That uh, if you would look right now, we have put out a request for proposal for the Equinox mill site. As you know, we bought it from a person who had robbed, raped, and pillaged that property and took everything of value. We know there is a lot of interest in that site. We have met with them, but in for the sake of fairness, that RFP is on the street. And what we're looking for is to somebody to come in and put apartments and houses and green space. And we're going to find somebody who wants to do that because with the textile mill tax credits and other incentives, developers want to do that. Now, they want to do that because they're going to make money, not because they think it's the greatest thing in the world, but they're going to make money. And if we get a nice development out of it, but Equinox is going to be the first one. As you know, we have finally finished up cleaning up Toxaway, that mill site. And I'm thinking right now the best use that council would see for that 
would be as a green space. And we would keep it mowed and just let it be a pretty space. If you haven't been down to the Viva site, where all the tires in the United States were, we above and underground. Above and underground. We really probably have only five more uh, dump truck loads of tires. Then we can start filling in that area. And council's plan for that forever in a day is to keep that as a beautiful green space and do away with that eyesore. And closer to downtown, if we can get the mill site, it's the natural place for a town to grow. I mean, for Anderson to grow. Oh, I can assure you. The, the old Abney Mill site has get has lots of people looking to do development on that site because it's just a natural. And you also have people looking not necessarily on that site but in areas on that site. And I'm talking about uh, national developers with great reputations who are looking to come in here and do something on that. That's why we're doing that with Equinox. And uh, we're also mapping all of the mills in Anderson County and in the towns because we think we can replicate this throughout the county. They're fixing up an old mill in Pendleton right now and that's going to be absolutely gorgeous. And so we're pushing that as hard and as fast as we can. And it really allows for the natural development of the cities and towns to have, be able to have, because those are usually very good locations, it's just getting them cleaned up. And they have water and sewer, so you're not looking to put water and sewer there, and you have roads, so it, you know, they're ideal. Well, finally, the only reason some people watch this is for this next discussion. Uh, as we see here today, it's 125 days until the unofficial lighting of the Anderson County Christmas tree downtown. I just wonder if you have any stats yet on how tall it will be this year. I think it's already grown at least a foot by now, but with 120 days and uh, miracle grow, it's going to get a little bit taller than that. And um, what day uh, do you perform the annual lighting of the Santa of the op in your office window here in the Queen's Court? We do that. We do that the day when we do the Thanksgiving Christmas tree. Right. Santa's in the closet. He's tired of being in the closet, but he will be out. He's ready to go. And just to clear it up, there's an unofficial tree lighting first for people who are home for Thanksgiving. Yes. And then it goes dark. Yes. And then on December 3rd this year, we light yeah. it back up. And then we have the, the big celebration. And the music will be pumped out of the tower here. Yeah. And the music will be pumping out of the tower, and it will be Christmas music, and everybody will be happy. It does my heart good that so many people ask me about the Christmas tree throughout the year, and that the county administrator is uh, has enough fun with it to talk about it as it goes along there was a lot of information from last week's county council meeting that people might want to digest and i did a recap with anderson county council vice chairman brett sanders with an assist from anderson county councilman glenn davis who offered a few more details on last week's council meeting that had so much information uh we started out uh with a report from the public safety committee that was held on uh, July the 6th, uh, there was approval for a hospital partnership on QRVs that can range up to 1.4 million of a private government partnership, uh, which also led into um, the recommendation from the committee on our EMS system. The QRV system played a major, major role in that decision. Um, tonight was uh, a very uh, heated debate. Uh, we had a lot of citizens come up, uh, show up tonight. A lot of citizens showed up and uh, expressed their concerns. 
We had, um, like I said, it was uh, a vote four to three uh, in favor of going under a one county system. Uh, the one county system will eliminate seven, seven different chiefs, seven different administrations, seven different directions, seven different rules, policies, and procedures. It will all be under one county brand system. Actually, it'll be the QRVs will come under the county, which uh, the plan actually called, I think, uh, right now the the county is supposed to be supplied with 16 or 16.5 ambulances, I think, uh, from the research I've done. <clears throat> excuse me, only 14 are actually in service and with three QRVs. Uh, this new system is going to have 17 ambulances and four, over four times the number of QRVs. I think it was 14 QRVs. Uh, like I said, it is a, a, a huge decision. There's a lot of emotions involved. Uh, it is an uh, emotional decision for me when I first look at it, but uh, I look at the facts and figures, uh, go through everything. I went through hundreds and hundreds of pages. Uh, this is an issue that's been going on for years. There was a study done in 2016 that uh, actually identified current problems, future problems, and uh, some ways to correct it. And, you know, I, I apologize to the taxpayers and the citizens for, uh, I wasn't on council, but for allowing it to be uh, drug out over a six year period of time uh, with the citizens getting, uh, they've been getting a good service, but there is uh, room, a lot of room for improvements. We have, uh, uh, based on the studies I've done on the financials, you had like a 20, 8% that are that I don't see how it's going to uh, succeed into the future. Then you had 63% that's having some financial problems uh, currently. Uh, the best run EMS system uh, and the strongest financial one actually is, well, I was told uh, by their board of directors and their chief, I think it was, it started out at they were losing 12,000 a month and uh, this last, uh, during this council meeting tonight, I had uh, one of the board of directors approach me and said it was over 20,000. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, misinformation. I hope that the, uh, the uh, increase in quality of care, increase in accountability, increase in the number of ambulances and QRVs that uh, uh, the Republic will actually get a uh, better quality of care with a faster response time and, and actually at uh, a savings. Uh, you know, that's yet to be seen, but my thing is if we can uh, increase the number of ambulances, increase QRVs, uh, in, that will increase the quality of care, and that's first and foremost for the uh, citizens of my district and for Anderson County. Enough on that. Uh, the second thing we had, we had a report uh, from the Public Planning Works Committee, which uh, the Honorable Cindy Wilson is chairs. Uh, I'm actually on that committee, and that is, uh, she uh, gave us a report on uh, conservation subdivision to allow uh, developers to cluster houses um, and leave more green space. And it's a, it's a process that's been worked on, I think, prior to me coming on the council. 
Uh, hopefully, uh, by the next meeting, we'll have uh, an ordinance in place that we can start tweaking and uh, bring something before council to actually vote on. And I'm excited about that. I mean, with all the uh, cookie-cutter type subdivision that you see going on now, it, it'll be a, a fresh change. And I think once the uh, developers see the opportunity uh, to provide green space, uh, walking trails, and things of that nature that they can still uh, turn a, a profit or the uh, same level of return that, or return on investment that they're required. I think that uh, it will be a, a good thing and, a, and an alternative, uh, something else in the uh, zoning and building codes and planning commission's uh, toolbox that allow them to uh, possibly access. Um, we also had the Honorable Glenn Davis uh, named the uh, Broadway Lake facility, uh, made a proposal to rename it the uh, Gracie Floyd Event Center at Broadway Lake. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, I think it's a great uh, tribute to Miss Floyd. Miss Floyd served many years on council, uh, very vocal, very caring for her citizens, her community, and her district. And I'm uh, happy to see that Councilman Davis uh, uh, requested that name be changed. She thought a lot of that facility and, and those people down there. And I think Mr. Davis is, uh, I think Ms. Floyd's looking down and, and she's proud that uh, he's actually filling her seat. And I think he's doing a great job. And, I look forward to continue working with him as well. You put it out the proposal. We're going to name the um, event center at Broadway Lake after Gracie. Why did y'all decide? I knew I was going to name something after. Why did y'all decide to make it the, the event center at Broadway Lake? Well, seeing as how the event center is in District 2 and it's uh, county-owned property, I just felt that uh, that would be the, the thing to do and, and it doesn't cost anything. We don't have to make uh, any renovations? Uh, we don't have to go to the state. You know, I heard that there were certain proposals out there to name a road, but it's going to take a lot longer. So, being uh, a new councilman on the block, I figured it would be appropriate to name the uh, McFall's Landing Event Center, the Gracie Floyd Event Center at McFall's Landing. And I, I talked to her sons, and they were on board. So that meant a lot. When they told me they, they were good with it, I, I decided to go forth and uh, bring it before council tonight. Uh, also, uh, tonight we had a, a lot of third readings that were actually uh, struck. I have a lot of third readings that were uh, eliminated or deleted from tonight's council meeting. Uh, those third readings, I think, were uh, sent out are publicized for the uh, meeting to be held at the old courthouse at the normal council chambers tonight. We uh, met at the uh, Civic Center. So for that reason, uh, we pushed those aside so that uh, there wouldn't be any confusion on the third readings, especially on we're saying they're going to be at one place and publicize it and then it not happen there. So after that, we had uh, went into our ordinances uh, second reading, which Give me a second here, I always take notes on everything. So, ordinance second reading. We had ordinance uh, 
2021-40 was an ordinance to amend Chapter 2, Article 5 of the Code of Ordinances, and that was uh, purchasing, which I think I discussed last time. Uh, anything less than 20000 would be a verbal or written quote with a minimum of three vendors. Uh, anything greater than 5000 could be or less than 5000 excuse me, anything less than 5000 could be done without bids. Uh, it actually is uh, trying to clean up the bid process. Not re really, I say clean up, but expedite it. I mean, you have uh, certain things, and, and I know a lot of people hear me say it a lot of times, things in government move slow, a little too slow sometimes for my comfort, but... If you have an air condition go out, you know, you have to have a request for proposal. That has to be written up. It has to be sent out. You have to have bids. It has to come back before council or go before a committee. They have to choose uh, the winner of the bid, then bring it to council to vote on it. So by the time, uh, you know, you, you get around to uh, approving that bid for the air condition, it's wintertime and you don't need it. So I think this will uh, allow uh, a lot more of a uh, expeditious type system so that was uh second rating we had ordinance 2021-42 excuse me 2021-42 and that was an ordinance authorizing a, a fee and lieu agreement between anderson county and a project called project amelia uh, that th that is an actually a uh some additions to uh, a current uh, company here in Anderson. It's a $13 million investment. Uh, also, uh, second reading, we had Ordinance 2021-43 uh, authorizing a fee and legal agreement between Anderson County and Project Limestone, which that is a $31 million investment uh, on uh, speculative or spec buildings. Uh, actually, tonight, I think I heard it was 800,000 square feet. Uh, also, Ordinance 2021-44 was a fee and lieu agreement between Anderson County and Project Flay, which is an ag manufacturing uh, company that's coming to Anderson. It's going to provide 41 jobs at an average pay of $20.66 per hour uh, with benefits and a $29.6 million investment. Uh, Ordinance second reading 2021-45 was an agreement uh, for the development of a joint county and business part of Anderson and Greenville to enlarge the park to add uh, Fatessa, I believe it was the name, in Simpsonville. And that's actually uh, one of the reciprocal relationships we have with Greenville County where uh, Anderson County would get 1% of those property taxes. Ordinance first reading tonight, we had an ordinance authorizing a fee and low agreement between Anderson County and Project Polly which is a $17.9 million investment uh, at a 6% tax rate, 29.19, uh, excuse me, $29.19 per hour, uh, an annual payroll of 44 million and 76 new jobs created. On its first reading was uh, 2021-47, was an ordinance to enlarge the industrial park of Anderson County and Greenville on Project Stella, which is similar uh, to one of the projects I just mentioned earlier, or same procedures. Uh, we also had an ordinance authorizing the sale of Anderson County on sewer capacity to the town of Williamston, uh, which I think was uh, 
we had actually had extra capacity that we weren't utilizing. Uh, Williamson has uh, experienced some growth, some subdivisions coming in there, and the county was actually able to sell some of that capacity back to uh, Williamson at a cost that didn't cost the, the county anything, but actually was allowed, uh, allowing uh, Williamson to uh, progress and move forward. Uh, I'm excited to see the county working with our municipalities in the town of Williamson. Their mayor was here, a couple of council members, their new fire chief to uh, express their thanks, and I'm happy that we were able to accommodate them. 2021-49 uh, was a authorization of a fee and lieu agreement and a special resource credit between Anderson County and Robert Bosch Corporation. And that's another uh, expansion, I think 195 million annual payroll that I think I heard Mr. Burris say was $54 million a year, uh, 125 new jobs. So I'm glad to see Bosch expanding and offering career opportunities for Anderson County residents. Um, 2021-50 was a fee and lieu agreement between Anderson County and a uh, project called The Company. It's a five-year extension over a minimum investment requirement creating, wait a minute, yeah, excuse me, between Anderson County and The Company authorizing a five-year extension on all investments over a minimum investment requirement creating a joint County industrial and business part relationships with Greenville County. It's a 20, $29 million project, uh, 25 jobs at uh, $20.07 per hour. Uh, resolutions tonight we had a resolution approving C funds, which is funds from the state uh, requested uh, from the Anderson County Transportation Committee uh, for paving on certain Anderson County maintained roads. Uh, I think it was Raymond Road, Pine Road, Bagwell Glen Subdivision, West Ridge North Subdivision, and Oaklawn Heights, uh, to name a few. There was also a resolution tonight, Resolution 034, authorizing a fee and glue agreement between Anderson County and Project Poly, which I think I discussed earlier. Uh, we also went into executive session to uh, get some advice on a couple of uh, legal issues. Um, once we done that, we had uh, a bid approval on the Dolly, uh, excuse me, the Dolly Cooper Park fuel tank. Uh, installation, which um, went to Miko of Greenville for $108,000, I think it was. It's a 5,000-gallon dual compartment tank that uh, I'm glad to see uh, for Councilman Davis and some of my upper areas that uh, it was done. That way, uh, the Sheriff's Department uh, can keep uh, deputies in that area longer without having to come all the way back to Anderson for refueling. So. It will um, create a, a larger presence uh, of deputies up in the northern part of the county. Uh, we also accepted a road, uh, a road in we, uh, Walker's Point subdivision. Uh, the road met all county standards and specs, and that was brought in. And we had an appointment for uh, Brad Swilling for District 6 on the Zoning Board of Appeals. And after that, we had, that was, I think, pretty much it tonight. We had some requests by council, normal stuff, and uh, we ended with council remarks and into the count, uh, council meeting. So thank you, everyone, for uh, watching, and uh, 
please come out and, and support uh, your county and ask questions and get involved. County Council wasn't the only uh, locally elected body that's been really busy. City Council on Monday night uh, approved an annexation of a 323-acre tract of land in the neighborhood of Williamson Road and US-29. 168 acres of those are in a floodplain, so they'll be left undeveloped, but there'll be a total of 620 lots to be sold for housing. Uh, they've got a lot of amenities in there, uh, and the houses will be a different size. And the City Council did not move on a second reading on the Midway Road Crestview development, but we'll follow up on that when they do. But another thing they did Monday night that I always like to see is honor the employees who have given so much time to public service and they paid tribute to an Ander a city of Anderson institution and a leader in the public works department for more than 30 years. Larry Morris still has the hat he got the day he took the job and he gave thanks to those around him and his family and friends who showed up for his years in the, at the city and he encouraged those at the meeting to read Psalm 118 which expounds on giving thanks to God only 157 days left in 2021 thoughts are turning to return to school after a very short summer for most of the teachers and a lot of the students uh, I talked to three of the county's school, uh, school superintendents this week about the upcoming year the newest superintendent is District 2's Jason Johns who has officially been on the job a little over two weeks and although he has been in communication with the board preparing for this new role for several months here's what he had to say about the year ahead in District 2 and how long have you been District 2 superintendent? This is my second week. I'm beginning my second week in service in Anderson 2. I'm very excited about it. Tell people a little bit about you. Where did you come from? Uh, where, were you, where were you at before now? I'm originally from Fort Mill, South Carolina, uh, and, and there I served as an assistant principal at Northwestern High School, and then as a middle school and a high school principal. I was two years at Banks Trail Middle School and then six years at Nation Ford High School. Uh, both of those were in Fort Mill School District prior to joining our Anderson 2 family. How did you get interested in education? When you were growing up, did you always want to be involved in education? What, what got you interested in education? I was very blessed. Both of my parents were big proponents of, of their children taking education seriously. And I had several coaches. My basketball coach and um, uh, soccer coach were very instrumental in just, in just molding me. Uh, and I knew as a late teen that I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted the ability to be able to uh, be used to encourage and inspire and come alongside young people um, and, and knew I wanted to do that early on. Um, and then when I became a teacher, it, it just affirmed everything that, that, that I felt I was called to. So I'll never do anything else except be a school person. I, I look forward to it every day. I wake up excited about spending time with our teachers, supporting our teachers and our principals, and uh, making sure that our uh, students have the best educational experience we can possibly offer them. How did being a teacher prepare you for this? How do you think being a teacher prepared you for being a superintendent? I think that um, you realize that, you know, somebody, when, when you ask a teacher, you know, what do you teach? That their answer should be, and this is the answer that our Anderson 2 teachers have, I teach kids. You know, what you teach is really secondary, whether it's math or English or social studies or first grade. Um, the most important thing is, is, is being in that room with those children and uh, finding out, you know, what, what they're gifted in, finding out what they're interested in, finding out their strengths and, and creating an environment where they can really 
um, um, make those those strengths as 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 impactful as they possibly can be, uh, and make sure those children understand that you're all gifted. You know, one of the things I think that we don't do as good of a job in education as as we could is identifying all the multiple areas of giftedness that our children have. The the longer I'm in education, I realize that everybody's gifted at something. Everybody uh, and everybody's a little needs a little extra grace in some area of their life. So being a teacher, you catch on to that pretty quick. And I think that makes you more, as a superintendent, I think that makes me a more empathetic superintendent. I think that makes me realize that, um, you know, as a teacher, you have to be on every single day and just, um, and so those teachers need to be supported. Um, and of course I'm partial, but, but I imagine in some jobs, you know, you know, you may go home and wonder if you've really made a difference. Um, as a teacher, you never have to wonder that. Uh, whether it was for good or whether it was not, uh, you made a big impact that day. And I think that's very unique to the calling of, of being an educator. What are some of the big challenges moving into this year? It's been a very unusual year for all educators. What are some of the big challenges down here in District 2 coming into the upcoming school year? I think the primary uh, biggest challenge is making sure that our students and our teachers and all of our school family is safe when they come into the building. We're hoping and we've got some good indications from our state uh, leadership that we're going to be able to open the school uh, with, without all the precautions and, and the limits that, um, uh, that, that we had to last year in light of the pandemic. So we're hoping that we can uh, have more access to our programs. Um, like we're accustomed to before, more access to our clubs and our fine arts activities and our, and our athletics. And so uh, just making sure that our students are safe as they begin the school year while them being able to access all the programs that, that they want to participate in and that we want them to participate in. And I know you've probably met with the board at this point. What are some of the strategic things y'all have and some exciting things y'all have coming up in the year ahead? Two big exciting things. And first of all, I'm so blessed to work with our Anderson 2 school board. Uh, uh, most of them are, are, are graduates from our school district uh, and every single one of them um, uh, wants to make uh, this the best district it can possibly be. Two of the big focuses that we have is that we have a literacy initiative from K to second grade uh, that we're implementing this year. All of our kindergarten, first grade, and second grade teachers spent last year uh, evaluating several programs and they put together uh, a curriculum to make sure that our students, when they leave second grade, have a strong foundation in literacy. Uh, you know, you can make the argument, and, and, I, and I would make this argument, that every class really is a reading class. We just change the books as they go to different classrooms and so making sure that our students have a very strong literacy foundation uh, and implementing that new curriculum is something that we're that we're very excited about and then also making sure that um, as we're coming out hopefully of this pandemic getting our students plugged into all the extracurricular activities um, uh, you know uh, that, that that they want to be involved in and so just restarting some of those clubs and some of those extracurricular activities that we were not able to do yet last year we're excited about that some of the unique challenges coming into this year include uh, students that may have gotten left behind how are y'all going to measure you know the students that may have sort of missed out on the distance or just disappeared or coming back or maybe some that just decided not to come back if y'all talked about plans about that Yes, sir. That's a great question. We've spent the last six months this summer pulling in um, all of our students that we've identified may have struggled with some learning loss, either because they've been out of school for a year. Maybe they were virtual students, didn't have the resources they need, or maybe they were students and, and you know, things are... 
things have happened in, in our in our uh, in families in our community that were that we're not even aware of that that caused the students not to learn as as much as they could have in regular circumstance. So our guidance counselors, our teachers, administrators have identified those students that would benefit greatly for some um, intervention. And so we've spent the last six weeks bringing those students into our schools to kind of get them prepared and set them up. Uh, so that when August comes that they'll be ready to, to go into that next grade. And then we've also identified those students who may be our high schoolers who need to retake a class. And some of our um, elementary and middle school kids are going to need some extra support. And we have uh, during school intervention time already planned and then some after school engagements to make sure uh, that those students get the support they need. Uh, finally, over the summer, our guidance counselors uh, and our, including our mental health counselors and our district office has been doing home visits all summer long to reach out and reconnect with those students who uh, maybe we did not see as much as we wanted to. We're very fortunate in Anderson too. Uh, it's a very stable community and so it, it's interesting. We did a survey at the end of this last year on the, the desire that our, our families had for virtual uh, extending virtual learning and we only had 18 students I have the entire district that expressed a desire for virtual learning so that's an indication that our kids want to be back into school our parents want to be back um, see their children back in school and of course we want them back in schools as well so that's that's a big blessing we're very fortunate for that you touched on this time of extracurricular activities this district has a, a long history of successful athletic programs how, how important are athletic programs to student success and how important is this year and being able to return full force to all sports? I think one of the most important things we want to make sure that they do it safely. Uh, but I think um, you mentioned our tradition of athletics. I think we've got tremendous fine arts programs, and of course our uh, FFA program um, is 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 a, is a model for the state and those programs are so powerful in, in two ways. One, they are incredible drivers of school culture. If you have the majority of your student body um, participating in athletics, fine arts, your, your big programs here for us, it's FFA, uh, then those students are going to have a more positive experience for school. And then you can leverage that uh, to, for academic achievement in the classroom. Um, I, I know with me, when I was in high school, uh, athletics was a big part of what I enjoyed about school. Um, and there's a lot of homework I did and a lot of attention I paid in school in order to participate in athletics that maybe I wouldn't have um, uh, without that. So using those programs to drive your positive, strong school culture and then leveraging that enthusiasm and that, that buy-in that they have uh, to get them to achieve at the highest level in the classroom. I think those are the two big um, gifts that athletics and then fine arts and other programs bring to your, to your school and your school cultures. How important is the role of the Career Center in the, dis in, in, in the district here? The Career Center that Anderson 2 and Anderson 1 school districts share is really an excellent facility to immediately take a student's interest in something that, that's in the real world, whether it's manufacturing, uh, whether it is uh, uh, the medical field, uh, marketing, digital arts and design, and, and immediately equip them with skills where they can go into industry right out of right out of high school. Um, the Career Center offers four levels of all those programs. Students are completers at the fourth level, and that fourth level, they actually go in uh, during their school day to those facilities 
facilities as an internship. And so it's an incredible opportunity. Uh, Anderson School District has one of the highest numbers of completers of any school district in the state. So it's a program that, that our students enjoy and that we get a lot of, um, uh, a lot of benefit from. Remind people what, how many schools are in this district and how many students and... Yes, sir. We have uh, seven schools in Anderson 2 School District. We have about 4,000 students this coming 2021-22 school year. Uh, we're excited about seeing every one of them. And, or, or was there any other factors that made you choose District 2 maybe over somewhere else as you moved into superintendency? Uh, when I saw the opportunity to apply for the superintendency in Anderson too, one thing that I was struck with um, and just so impressed with about this community is just the community support and pride that they have in their school and just the, the buy-in that all of our local um, civic organizations, our churches, uh, the community is just so um, um, behind our schools and it was a, just a real blessing to become part of that. And have you gotten to know many people in the community yet? Have you, have you been out talking to the teachers and people in the community? Yes, sir. I've had a chance, a couple of opportunities. We had a cheer camp three three weeks ago, and so I was able to speak to all their parents. We had a final um, uh, production at the end of the week. I was able to talk to them. Um, at, the, at the very end of the year, we had our Teacher of the Year uh, celebration. That's how kind of how we close out the year here in Anderson, too. So I was able to address all of our teachers, administrators, coaches, and spend some time with them. Um, and then uh, this is my second week in the district, and we've had two Sundays and visited churches, and it's been wonderful. And then uh, in the afternoon when I get home, there's, a, there, there's always folks visiting. I, I think my wife has been to five or six pool parties already. I think they're probably at one right now. So it's just been wonderful getting to know the community. Something a lot of parents don't know about a superintendent, especially in a district this size, uh, you're going to have a very busy schedule and extracurricular activities in the months ahead. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In, in addition, we have six children, so I'll have a child in elementary, middle, and then a couple in high school, and so we'll be involved in, in all of it. Um, uh, my my uh, school board chair said, Jason, we didn't necessarily hire you for you. We hired you for the six children you're bringing into the district, so um, uh, we're going to enjoy just getting getting involved in it. And for people who want to know more about you and your philosophy here, or just find out more about the schools in the district, uh, what's the most the best way to get in touch and also how will y'all encourage parents to stay in touch with the teachers? Uh, every Friday, our teachers will reach out to the, the parents in their classroom every single Friday, give them a recap of the week, an update on what's to look forward to next week, uh, and then some big key engagements that they'll have for that for the upcoming um, uh, month or so. And so look forward to that every Friday from each of your teachers. Then um, if you'll go to our Anderson School District 2 website, right on the very front, you'll see my uh, email address and phone number. Please reach out. And if you see me in the community, I'd love to speak to you and get to know you. feel very blessed to be in Anderson 2 School District. It's always good to see energetic uh, new faces involved in, in public school education in Anderson County. And I, I think Jason's going to do a great job there. On the other side of the county, uh, Anderson, Anderson County School District 4 has a new superintendent as well. And Dee Christopher has been on the job since March. And he's no stranger to the area, as he talked about in this interview. You're a fairly new superintendent here. Now, how long have you been on the job? And let's just talk a little bit, tell people a little bit about you and where you came from, how you ended up here. So I started officially on March the 1st, uh, just a few months ago, uh, a little over four months ago now. Um, after Do uh, Dr. Joanne Avery retired, uh, she'd been here a long time in the district. Uh, six years, I think, as the superintendent. 
Um, so I, I got hired at the end of September. I have, was here in November, parts of November, December, January, and February before taking over. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a South Carolina guy, born and raised in South Carolina. Grew up right down the road in, in Piedmont, and I uh, went to school there. I'm a Furman grad. I don't look like one. I don't sound like one, probably, but I'm a Furman University graduate. Uh, I've taught and coached around the country, around the state, excuse me, and uh, this was this was next step. I was a high school principal for 18 years, 18 plus years, um, at some big big schools um, in Fort Mill, and uh, this was the right time to to move and see if my leadership uh, can translate into uh, a little bit bigger role. And what got you into education initially? I mean, when you were growing up, did you always think I'm going to be a teacher, or an educator, or a coach, or something? I probably knew probably when I was 13, 14 years old. Uh, my father was an educator, uh, was a teacher and a coach and a principal and a superintendent uh, before he retired. And he still is the best leader, greatest leader I've ever known. Uh, and that's really nice when you have that in your family. And so uh, my dad was kind of the impetus for that for me. Uh, but I have a family full of educators. and. Um, so I knew early on, just didn't know what I was going to teach and what I wanted to uh, coach. Uh, and then when I wanted to jump into being uh, an administrator, whether or not I was, I was capable of, of doing those things similar to, to what my father uh, did. So uh, I knew early and uh, loved teaching, loved coaching, still consider myself a teacher and a coach, even though it's been over 20 years since I've uh, been in the classroom every day or on the football field every day. Uh, doing those things. So uh, those those were such important uh, building blocks for me uh, to where I am now. I feel like I understand uh, what our teachers especially go through, what our principals go through on a daily basis, um, and appreciate what they do so much. Um, they have we, we have found out. I think during a pandemic, um, how valuable certain portions of our society are, and teachers, administrators, folks that work in school are some of the heroes that I think have come out of this thing. And uh, so uh, that's that's what I was about. My sister was a was a teacher and a, a retired as a principal. Um, my brother did not do that. He he. Uh, He's a civil engineer, but uh, the family is a bunch of teachers. My oldest daughter is a teacher. My wife is a teacher. And um, so we've got a family full of educators. Some of, these people, some of the people watching this may know your dad. Tell them who your dad was. My, my dad is, is uh, Reggie Christopher from uh, Anderson One. He was my high school principal um, <clears throat> in the 70s and 80s at Wren High School and was the superintendent there from 88 to 04. Um, so yeah, and he lives right down the road. I haven't been back in Anderson County since I graduated college, and I've uh, been around the state. And uh, so it's really nice to be home, be close to mom and dad, uh, where I can where I can see them. My sister still lives in the community, uh, or in Anderson County as well. Matter of fact, she lives in District Four, um, and and has for 30 years. So uh, we're excited to be back in God's country. Um. 
you, you talked about coaching. How important are athletics to academics? Is, you know, a lot of people talk about athletics and academics as if they're two very separate things. How important are those two things in a, in a school situation? Well, I'll, t I'll talk about all of our extracurriculars, um, whether that's clubs or band or, or chorus or archery here in, in uh, Anderson 4 is really important, uh, and athletics. All of, all of those things are a hook. They're a hook for kids to be engaged in school. Uh, if we can get them excited about that, maybe we have a really good opportunity to progress them, to see beyond today uh, what's, what's available for them. Uh, so I think that, that hook and that engagement, and I'll tell you what, the, the folks who uh, work with our student athletes, uh, our, our choral students that do musicals and performances and our band and uh, our archery kids, and our, and our clubs, our student council and, and beta clubs and, and things of that nature. The folks that are doing that and are establishing those relationships with those students, uh, they're, they're getting buy-in from students, not just in that activity, but also in school in general. Uh, I was, uh, as a parent, I've, I've got three high school graduates myself. Uh, my goal was always to have my kids tired at the end of the day. I didn't want them up all hours of the night. I want them tired. So they were they were involved in athletics. They were involved in uh, fine arts all throughout uh, their schooling. So um, and they're all pretty good kids. Uh, just th those activities uh, just really give us an opportunity to develop additional relationships, positive relationships, and those kids gravitate towards good positive role models. Um, and I think that's so important in, in schools. Mom and dad are the most important, um, but next comes uh, teachers and coaches and, and those folks that, that spend so much time with our kids. You're taking the helm at probably what most people would consider one of the most challenging times in the history of public education. Uh, what, um, what challenges are y'all facing coming into this year, and what are some of y'all's plans to deal with those? There, there's a lot of biggest things uh, that we're going to be dealing with. Uh, what's going on with the uh, pandemic currently and how that will progress over the next four weeks uh, is going to be really important and impactful for us. Uh, the amount of learning loss, and I don't like that word, I, I prefer the term unfinished learning, uh, just because we didn't have as much time on task last year uh, as we would have preferred. It wasn't a normal school year for us. Our school day in Anderson 4 was uh, decreased by about an hour, uh, depending on level. And so we've, we've got a lot of catching up to do, um, if you will. That's, that's not to say uh, that we didn't do a superior job because I believe the plan that Dr. Avery in uh, our district prepared last year was really, really good. It protected, it had as the priority, the safety and health of our students and our employees. Uh, we did a really good job of executing that plan. Uh, but, but there's just gonna be uh, holes and some potholes, if you will, in uh, the learning that occurred last year. And so we've, we've, gotta, we've gotta spend some, some time uh, doing that. Not to mention we've got about 400 students in Anderson School District 4 that are coming back to school for the first time since March of 2019. 
So we've got, excuse me, 2019, 2020, uh, since 2020. And so we've got some students who hadn't been in school physically. Uh, they've been virtual um, for, for that time period. And so getting them back assimilated into, into school um, is going to be something that's different. I, I, I don't know that it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be something that we just haven't dealt with along in every grade level before. Um, so those, those things are, are really uh, driving us right now as we prepare for the new school year. We had to have a return to school plan in, in June to the state, which we did. We, uh, although we were in school face-to-face -face really all year, K through eight, um, and then November for, for high school, we were in school every day except for our, our virtual academy students. Um, so they, uh, you know, we, we have a really good plan going forward for, for being back in school. Uh, it's just at this point, just waiting on that variant and how that's going to potentially affect us. Uh, the vaccines out there, we, about 75% of our employees, maybe more at this point, but in late April, I had about 75% that we felt uh, were vaccinated at that point. Uh, that gives us a, a leg up a little bit uh, and gives some uh, assurance to our, our employees, at least. Uh, we're hoping that a lot of our 12 to 18-year-olds uh, were vaccinated as well. That will help out. It'll help out with continuity of services uh, that we provide. So really, those are, the, those are the big things over the next four weeks to, to two months. Um, getting into the school year. Before we get into that, yeah. what about the kids, and I've talked to several superintendents about this, who are already in the margins going into this. Do we know how many of those we're, we may have trouble bringing back in, or do we know yet how many of those, what those numbers look like? We, we had really good communication with um, our VLA, our virtual students, um, and our students that were face-to-face -face all year. We ended up between the end of 2019-20 and beginning of 2021, we ended up losing about 114 students overall. We communicated with those families in February and March um, about their plans for this coming school year. And we think about half of those are gonna, gonna show back up. Those are the ones that we were able to, to communicate with. Uh, so we, we think a good many of those are, are coming back um, to school, and they, they may have done a lot of different things. They may have homeschooled, they may have gone to a private school, they may have gone to a charter school, they may have done an online uh, school in the state or, or outside of the state. Um, so we, we think a good many of those are coming back. Um, we just won't have a, a firm handle on that until really we start school. I know you've had a chance now to meet with the board, and, and what kind of strategic plan do y'all have for the year ahead? What things are you excited about and things you're really looking forward to seeing? And The, the thing that is on the horizon for Anderson 4 has to do with growth, which, which is exciting, but also uh, brings some trepidation with it uh, because there's some unknowns in that. Uh, this school district has remained uh, the same size for at least the last 15 to 20 years. As I look back at enrollment figures, uh, going back to 05, 06, around there, uh, we've been between 2700 and 2850, 2870, somewhere around in there. Uh, right now, we're around 2750 or so. 
in our in our school district and the uh, the number of houses that are going up uh, in in the town of Pendleton, uh, but also uh, that will be going up in in Anderson County um, in our school district are concerning because we just we're just unsure of what that is going to mean for our district. So I'm really excited going forward. We're preparing ourselves for that growth. Uh, we have this fall a facility and enrollment study that the school board has. Uh, allowed me to commission uh, to really determine what our needs are going forward for the next five to ten years um, and trying to position ourselves um, to communicate that with our with our public um, which we think is really really important um, we don't know if there's a new school in, in in our future or if there's additions to schools or or what because we don't really know what the impact of the growth is going to be to our school district. Uh, we know it's going to be an impact to our roads, but what's it, what's it going to do to our school district? So uh, we do anticipate student growth over the next two to five years, um, and we will have a plan uh, to deal with that um, very soon. I come from Fort Mill that was growing at times during my 14 plus years there at over 10% growth in the school district. Uh, I don't know that we'll get there anytime soon, um, but a couple of percent here and there, two or three percent a year for an extended period of time is going to put some stress on, on our facilities, and uh, so we've got to be prepared for that. And one of the things that has gone along with that is it's been more difficult to generate revenue without having a lot of new students in, and that's one of the challenges. This district, uh, a referendum was defeated, and a lot of things, a lot of needs have been kicked down the road a long time, and you're right. inheriting all those. Right. So what, what are the budget challenges coming forward here? Well, the, the, the biggest challenge is, you know, Anderson 4 doesn't get a full portion of, of state EIA money, which is the per-pupil expenditure. Uh, we get about 65% of the of the full allotment, and that number is 25-12. Don't quote me on this one. 25-12, 25-16. So we get 65% of that. So uh, that's that's a challenge for us. At the same time, uh, we haven't been raising taxes over the last uh, four to five years um, as well on our operational side, which is business. You know, we don't pay operational taxes from property taxes for my home uh, in the district. Um, so that is that is a that that hurts us um, to a certain extent because then we go to the business community we uh, we ask them uh, to, to bear the brunt of that. Um, so my, my hope is uh, that one day maybe the legislature will get back into having a little bit better uh, system for financing schools altogether. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say this, the district has positioned itself well. Dr. Avery and our school board have done a really good job of positioning us for the future. Um, it helps us right now that we have an infusion of federal money um, through uh, the ESSER money that's coming in. That's going to be a, a big help for us. We're going to be able to do some things especially surrounding unfinished learning and learning loss that we weren't able to do before uh, that we're really excited about that that hopefully will prepare students for their next step and that's what you know that's our big goal right is is to prepare kids for that next step that means 
when they're going from kindergarten to first grade that they're fully prepared to go to first grade or whether they're graduating from high school or they prepared for college and career um, or the military, whatever the case may be for that individual student, uh, we want every single one of them prepared for that next step. So um, that's that's what I would say about, uh, about that. And uh, I really do believe that the district is well positioned for the future. Uh, I believe there was was a positive momentum heading into the pandemic, and I believe that momentum will continue itself uh, over the next few few years. There's a lot of pride uh, in this community uh, about the schools. Uh, people love the family atmosphere. They love the size of our school district. There are a ton of opportunities for students here in our school district as well. We provide a really good value, and the people are outstanding. Uh, our community, People are supportive of what we do. They value what we do. And then our uh, teachers, our teaching assistants, our administrators, principals, our bus drivers, our custodians, our food service folks, all of those folks are really good people who care deeply about their work. Moving into the new year, what are, you're back to what people consider traditional school, at least with, with some caveats there, right. obviously. What are, what are some of the goals and some of the things you're excited about this year, some progress you hope to see? So that, that progress academically is really what we're, what we're interested in. We're, we're going to be relentless about growing kids uh, as much as we possibly can. Our, you know, we, we did a lot of, of testing last year to see where our students were um, and seeing what growth they had. We had plenty of growth last year, um, not as much as we would prefer to see uh, because of that limited time, um, but we believe that that's the biggest portion that we need to make sure that we spend our time on, and that's that's where our time and energy is going to be spent. We're, we're going to have before and after school tutoring um, extra help sessions. Uh, we're going to really ramp up uh, our one-on-one -on -one, uh, interventions that we're doing with students and our small group interventions in all four, uh, in all three levels, elementary, middle, and high school. Uh, so we're really excited about that because we know that we've got some students who, who didn't learn as much or learn at the same rate even uh, because we know that the pandemic, there was a lot of anxiety uh, on our students. Um, there was a lot of anxiety on our families. Um, you know, there, there were you know, food insecurities, there were job insecurities, all of those things that, that go into what we've dealt with, uh, what we deal with normally, but then heightened um, during, during that time. The other portion of that is we've got to spend time on our social emotional health of our, our students and our employees. And so we have uh, our focus initially at the beginning of the year with our employees is going to be on social emotional learning uh, for our students and for our employees and making sure that people's um, mental health is where it needs to be so that they can learn. Uh, we want our students coming to school, you know, they're not, they're not coming to school uh, perfect every day of the school year. Um, I'm not coming here perfect every, every day of the school year. So learning how to cope with some of those emotions and then also having uh, people that are available to assist in those, in those difficult times 
that we all go through um, as adults, but our kids go through them too. And so uh, that that's a that's a main focus. We've we've hired we're hiring a social emotional learning uh, coordinator, somebody that will work individually with schools. Will do some student individual student work um, as well with behavior and. Uh, just all kinds of social emotional learning. Uh, we think that's that's important uh, as well. We healthy kids are are easier to teach than than those that are unhealthy. Whether that's uh, emotionally unhealthy or whether they're just hungry. And so uh, we're we're doing everything that we can to be a almost a one stop shop uh, to try to help as much as we can so that we can get to the learning for our students. Are these goals, are these shaped by your experience in the classroom? Because sometimes in education, you get lost in the woods and the briars of budgets and, and, and meetings and administration and stuff, but the things you're talking about are more hands-on. In, what, what about the kids? Can, is that coming from a former classroom teacher here? Well, it, it probably is. Um, and I, I said earlier, I, I haven't stopped being a teacher. Um, but we're we're going to be from from the school board to the superintendent uh, down uh, the line. We're going to be about kids, and we're going to be about kids, and we're not going to apologize for that, and we're going to be relentless about that. So when we talk about budget, we're talking about how is this impacting our children. Uh, when we talk about growth um, and preparing for uh, growth, how is this going to impact our children? Um, because I, I, I believe we've been given um, the responsibility to prepare every single student for their next step. And so uh, that is uh, a little bit in the weeds for the superintendent, I suppose. Um, but teaching and learning has got to be what we're about first. And we have some really, really good teachers uh, in our school district. We have some great principals. Uh, and I've got great support here um, at our district office. So um, that's that's what we're going to be about, and that's we're we're not going to apologize a whole lot about that. Any things that parents and students will notice physically different coming back into this year? Well, it, right now um, we're we're gonna we're gonna put out our protocols for uh, the school year um, in the next few weeks. We'll put out a draft, and then, but I I, I think that we will. One of the things they'll see is we don't have any plexiglass up in our classrooms anymore. Um, we're still going to try to socially distance. CDC still says three feet. Uh, so we're going to try to do that in our classrooms. Um, we won't be taking temperatures at the door. Um, anecdotally, we found out that wasn't that doesn't didn't really work for us. Um, it didn't it didn't catch a lot of people that were. Uh, potentially sick or had a fever at the time. So um, that's that's one thing. Masks were uh, allowed to be uh, opted out of in May uh, by the governor. So uh, that'll be different. We'll have a little bit fuller buses probably um, than normal. Um, and, and masks won't be mandated on buses as well. So uh, it'll feel more normal, uh, but at the same time, we're still probably going to cluster our students into small groups and uh, just have contact in those you know, grade levels at elementary school.
for instance. Um, but that it'll it'll feel more normal. Uh, we just won't fully be back to what we would call February of 2020 um, for some time, I don't think. How about the facilities? Are there any, any refurbishment upgrades, anything people will notice? We are, uh, one of the things that occurred in the spring, summer of 2020 uh, was Dr. Avery purchased, began purchasing replacement desk, one that was a little bit smaller footprint. Um, and so we're gonna finish that out in elementary and middle schools uh, hopefully by the end of August. So that's one thing uh, that we did. The other, the other thing, we were able to uh, refresh our Chromebooks. We are completely one-to-one -one as, as a district. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing that we're really excited about, and, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it's gonna be going on before the school year starts uh, for the first day of school is, uh, safety and security is uh, vital in this day and age. Um, the district has struggled over the years with uh, communication in certain portions of the district. Our transportation supervisor um, told me that 30 minutes for every elementary route in the morning, every middle and high route in the morning, and in the afternoon. So two hours a day, uh, he had a struggle with communication uh, because we were using cell phones on those on those buses and there were times when they were in and out. And you and, and the bus drivers knew where those places were. Uh, but we're able in, in conjunction with Anderson County, a partnership with District 5, um, being able to put a, a new antenna on over on Mance Jolly. And uh, so we're gonna be able to have radios in our buses that communicate throughout the district. Uh, I can communicate with buses from sitting right here at my desk. Uh, if I need to. So that, in terms of safety and security, we're really excited to be able to do that. And that's, that's something people don't think much about. Um, but for us to be able to have that and communicate to our, our drivers um, during the morning or, or afternoon, uh, that's going to be vitally important. You know, campus safety in, in, in general is always, and people sort of forgot about it last year, but right. particularly with what happened here a few years ago in this district, right. you know, are there any, any changes to that or just maintain? Well, we have, we have moved our, our, our transportation director, um, John Schmeller, um, who's done such a great job there, uh, is also going to be our uh, director of safety and security. And so uh, nothing different right now. Uh, than, than what our normal protocols have been in terms of safety and security. Uh, you know, we, we are looking at some, at some things in our front offices, for instance, uh, but we've got access. You, you saw when you got here today, you, you rang a buzzer uh, to get into the building. Uh, so those, those things are still important, but, but we need to make sure that we're, we're checking up on the little things, like making sure doors aren't propped open and um, fence gates aren't unlocked things of that nature. So uh, Mr. Schmeller's got a lot of, a lot of work to do um, and, and making sure and, uh, that we're doing exactly the things that we're saying we're doing. What kind of things will you do to both communicate with and encourage parents to be involved in what's going on in the district? Well, one of the things that we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna continue to use our, our website, obviously. Um, my, my goal is to do uh, uh, some type of outreach to, to families uh, once a month, as well as 
doing as much posting uh, on our social media as we possibly can, on our Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter account. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tell folks all the time, as a, as a former principal, uh, you know, if, if you've got a if you've got a issue, if you've got something you want to uh, air to us, um, how about do it to us first? You know, let let the superintendent know, give him an opportunity to respond to you before you put it out there and um, put out something negative or or put out some hearsay. Eight six four four zero three two thousand, and my email address address is dchristopher at andersonfour.org. And I've heard from parents already uh, and look forward to to meeting more as we kind of come out of this and get into more normal. Uh, I'll be more often at schools. I'll be at events um, for our students, whether it's athletics or band events or uh, performances from schools or I got to get to an archery contest soon. Yeah, I want to be out in the community and, and know people. I love the town square. Here in Pendleton, uh, I think I've eaten at all the restaurants at this point, and uh, my family enjoys it as well. And finally, this week I caught up with Anderson County School District 5 Superintendent Tom Wilson, who is at the helm of the largest district, and he offered some thoughts on the move of some of the district's office employees downtown and some plans for the years ahead, and he also encouraged folks to get in back, to get vaccinated to help make sure the school year ahead is one that goes well without interruptions. I know one of the things uh, you and I talked about not too long ago was y'all had a, a really beefed up summer school this year. How, how'd that go? It went very well, actually. Uh, we had originally around 2,000 students. Uh, That's a lot for summer school. Yeah, very a, a lot. That's K-12. And we um, some of the students we actually contacted and told the parents they need to be in summer school based on some assessments. At the high school level, we had... Uh, where they could make up work. Um, and then we had some standalone courses that kids were taking. So it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a challenge. Transportation was a challenge, but we, you know, we got it done and we fed the students breakfast and lunch. Uh, the numbers did drop off some after July 4th, which we kind of suspected. Um, but the ones that are there certainly are going to be helped by it, uh, particularly the elementary students. Um, some of the kids that were there were very far behind from what some of the administrators told me. So we uh, we were glad that we were doing it. We, we, we were able to use ESSER money, to, uh, which is COVID relief money, to pay the employees. We were able to pay teachers $60 an hour, which really kind of helped us recruit teachers to do it. We were very fortunate that a lot of our new hires, particularly from Anderson University, students that had more student teaching in the spring, we actually hired a lot of them for next year, but we went ahead and hired them to do summer school as well. So these kids right out of college, they loved it because finally I'm getting a paycheck after basically being broke for four years. And plus then they'll teach with us at, at various schools around the district. So. Uh, it's a short summer. That's what I was going to ask you. What are the challenges of the short summer? Primarily getting the bills, the buildings ready for next year. What we had to do in the schools, because, you know, you're stripping floors, you're cleaning, you're doing things that, you know, doing a lot of maintenance that you can't do during the middle of the year, painting, touching up, paving uh, driveways, resurfacing, restriping parking lots, just general uh 
preventative maintenance. So what our custodians, I want to like to thank them and our maintenance staff, they would actually get one wing of a school ready and then uh, move the kids to that wing and go to another wing where the students were and, and work on that and kind of rotate around so the buildings will be ready uh, August 17th. And the teachers report when? Uh, August 11th, I believe. And then our new teachers, I know our new teacher, our new teacher orientation is August 3rd and 4th. And then we'll start uh, on, on Tuesday the 17th. All right, let's, let's start with your sort of your strategic plan, the plans for the coming year, then we'll talk about some of the other things. What, what are some of the things that are coming up this year that people will notice and things y'all been working on? A lot of it is some building and some improvements. Even at this building, uh, those that actually drive by here, we're redoing all the parking lots behind our main building on Pyramidary Road where all the buses park. You may, if you ride around, you may notice that our buses now are stationed at different places. Some are at West Side in the parking lot. Um, some are at the old Wamsetta building on, on 28 Bypass. Uh, well, I'm set of meals, excuse me. Uh, so we're redoing all this in the back behind our main office. Uh, there's two trailers back there that will be demolished or sold or given away or whatever. Uh, but the big construction right now is we're building, uh, we're, we're renovating two buildings downtown. Uh, the old First Citizens Bank building in the corner of Whitner and Maine. Uh, then the old commercial bank building, which is right beside it, which is a, adjacent to Wren Park. Uh, the, first, the front building on Main and Whitner is going is, is to be renovated. They're doing that now. Uh, that will house uh, a lot of the administrative offices. My office will be there. All finance will be moving there. The second building, the commercial bank building, is going to be demolished. Uh, it's in terrible shape. I walked in it one day, and I, I went 10 feet and said, I'm turning around. Yeah, I just heard there, heard there wasn't much you could do with it. Yeah, it was bad. And um, so we're, we're going to demolish that. We're going to rebuild it, uh, and we will house. And that building will be all our instructional staff, our special education staff, and then uh, some rooms for professional development, those kind of things. It's kind of, it's a narrow building, you know, so it's going to, have, I think, have four floors so we can utilize that. Uh, Before we get too far away from that, when, when's the demolition construction going to start on the, that one? The construction started on the first building. Right. Y'all know when y'all be into that one? We hope we'll be in early spring. Um, they're saying January, but I know how things go with construction, with weather and delays and all that, but... And then the second building, we don't know yet. We're still designing it. It will be demolished. Uh, there's some, you know, concerns they're dealing with because it is so close to Rim Park. Uh, but the engineers are looking at that. But we're very pleased with our uh, company. It's Thompson and Turner out of Sumter. Um, we haven't used them before, but uh, we they come highly recommended. Done a lot of work all over south carolina and other states so we've been very pleased with them and also uh there are a lot of projects uh that are on the table that we're going to be implementing at ait we're going to be adding culinary arts uh, originally when we 
uh, we're designing that building. We wanted to add culinary, and there was a lot of discussion, should we or shouldn't we? But in hindsight, it was a mistake not to, because um, it's a very popular program, course for kids. You look at all the cooking shows that are on TV now. So we're going to add that. It's going to be a little over a million dollar uh, project to renovate uh, a lab there that uh, it's like a technology lab, so we'll be able to move that and take that space. And for those that have been in AIT, the culinary lab will be right beside that main um, um, meeting room, the main area there where we have meetings, and most people have been in there. So we've got that. That project will be rolling out uh, soon. We're also working on... Uh, Before we get too far away from AIT... Uh, how is how is AIT going in terms of the way y'all had it planned? I know one of the things that I've noticed is y'all are trying to use that main room for more community events and things. I think Touchdown Club's going to be there this right. year. How, how, how are things going as, as, as we're planned for the AIT? Well, we had a lot of requests last year, but we didn't we didn't allow anybody to rent our buildings last year or use them. Uh, but we do have a lot of requests, as you mentioned. The Anderson Touchdown Club is signed on. They're going to have their meetings there. Um, we do any meeting that's there for meal to serve the require, you know, we require them to work through our culinary, our school culinary services. We provide the food and, and charge a reasonable fee. Um, so but I anticipate we'll have a lot, uh, early on we have people wanting to have weddings in there and everything else, uh, because it is a great facility. It's good parking. It's easy in, easy out. So, uh, we anticipate we'll have a lot more requests. And the business partnerships have gone as planned mm -hmm. with, with all the, the pl programs at AIT? Yeah, with Michelin and Bosch and uh, Arthrex has, has been a very uh, partner and med, different ones. I, I don't know how many millions that have been donated into that facility, but uh, Dr. Couch certainly does a great job of reaching out. Uh, another big project that's going to be rolling out in the next 18 months, which I'm excited, is renovating, rebuilding the science labs at Westside High School. Those are the original labs uh, when the school was built, and you know things change, technology changes, so we're going to renovate those. Also, I uh, want to get back to the main administrative building, this building that we're currently in now, once we move out, 50 people will be downtown. And we're going to, in this building on Pyramidary Road, uh, human resources will still be here, student services will be here, transportation and technology. Because what the public needs to remember, this building was built in 1968, 67. Well, there was no special ed departments then. There was no technology. Technology was a rotary dial phone. And, Typewriter ribbons. Yeah, and that was it. Um, <clears throat> so technology takes a lot of space, a lot of equipment. So that will basically allow us to have everybody uh, from, the, from the central office point of view in a building. So this building will become, <clears throat> excuse me, will become known as the administrative annex. And uh, downtown will be the uh, district office. <clears throat> and what other projects you were talking about? The, um, those are the big ones right now that we're looking at. Uh, also, uh, just 
there's some issues with tennis courts at Hannah and Westside. They're going to have to be, uh, we got to dig them up next year and redo them because of water issues. You know, and what people on, you know, it takes a lot of time, a lot of resources to maintain 23 different buildings and sites that are used every day. You just know the wear and tear that <clears throat> happen. You know, I have four grandkids when they come to my house to visit. There's always something to fix when they leave. So imagine with 14,000 students. So um, also, as you know, we're not having virtual school next year. It'll be all face-to-face, -face, and we're utilizing a lot of space at the old Boys High on McDuffie Street uh, in the old Career Center. We have our uh, alternative school there, personalized learning center, our bridge program, our charter school, and also our homeless liaison works out of there, which is gives her a lot of space to store supplies and things to help families that are in need. There are a lot more students than people think that have no permanent address, right? Oh yeah, it's, I talked to her yesterday, Lisa Butler, and she said, yeah, I'm already getting calls. And she told me that it was quiet for a long time stimulus money and all that well as that starts waning the calls will come back and we have a lot of kids usually we have between three and four hundred kids that qualify as homeless that, that we have to serve what about the return of athletics full force i mean yep. everything's back in are you all ready for that and what challenges does that bring yeah we're still you know we're, we're full force um you know we're still trying to you know uh, disinfecting clean and those things but as you know the mask mandate is gone in fact we can't even require mask by the proviso that was in the budget this year S employees and students certainly can wear them if they want to um, but we're full right now we're going full steam ahead with school and and um, you know hope for the best are the athletes excited? I mean, in their extracurricular folks happy to be back? And yeah, yeah. I've talked to the coaches, and they're excited. You know, they did a lot of seven-on-seven seven camps this summer at the high schools. Um, also, as you know, we're in, we're partnering with the YMCA to uh, build a cross-country facility out at the uh, Duckworth-Tucker area. All that's going to be re totally rebuilt. Uh, District 5 is, is partnering with the Y. We're putting in $1.9 million. Um, and our part will help build a state-of-the-art cross-country facility that will allow us to host not only state but national meets. And we're designing the course um, so we can actually host NCAA meets. And so the technology and infrastructure will be there. In fact, um, we, we're working with uh, uh, a coach out of uh, Georgia that's retired. It's very run off a lot of big meets. He's going to be working with us to coordinate that. And uh, we've had we visited several sites around the country. But for those that don't know, cross country can be a huge revenue producer, not only for the school district, but for the community. Because when these runners come from all over the southeast, they're going to spend the night, and so they stay in hotels, they go to restaurants, and, and we collect tax money on all these people that don't live here. 
And so it, it we're really excited about that. I know Joe Drennan at the Y is excited. But, uh, you have a timetable on that yet? They should start moving dirt any day now. I know there's a meeting today uh, uh, with our folks, Wes Grant and those folks that represent us are meeting today. But we're excited about it. I know the why is. They're going to be athletic fields, concessions. Uh, it's really going to be uh, a big deal. It's going to be a big deal for this community once it's done. Yeah, also, uh, those kind of, uh, the, particularly cross country, attracts those extreme athletes for those kind of events yeah. they have too that come in and do those. Yeah, and, and cross country families travel. They go and, um, you know, they, they go all over to running these meets. And, and our goal is number one is to get the state meet here, uh, which I think we can do. And then from that springboard to other events, um, that those trails, those cross-country trails and all will be used by uh, the community to go jog and walk or whatever. And then when if um, a church or a school or a nonprofit wants to have a fun run, well, they can have it on our facility. And you, that way you're not running on roads. And, and so you get the experience. It's, you know, it's over the hill and through the woods. Uh, but it's going to be a lot. It's going to be something that folks uh, in, the, in, in South Carolina have never seen. Yeah, whose idea was that? Well, it kind of grew out of just a partnership with the Y. Because if you've ever gone up 81 on a September afternoon, there's literally hundreds of kids jogging from from Hannah up 81 and west side you know running down Jackson Street or 28 bypass or you know and so it's not safe and I think that got a lot of people's attention but it's been very popular with folks in the community maybe who uh, had kids that ran cross country or they ran cross country because sometimes it's a forgotten sport but it is a big money-making sport for communities. Uh, in my former district in Georgia, we had the state cross-country course on our campus, and it was the largest revenue producer behind football. And people don't think about that. And most high school sports lose money. You know, you don't make a lot of money in wrestling. You don't make a lot of, you don't make any money hardly in tennis and track makes very little money. So football makes the most and has to kind of carry everything. Well, so if we add, we could, if we can generate a lot of revenue through cross country, that will help us support all these other non-revenue producing sports. It's, it's the same at universities. You know, Clemson football pays the freight for about everything else. You mentioned partnerships. How important are those partnerships? People don't think about schools having to partner or helping partner with people to do things for the community. Yeah, they're very important. I, you know, I read somewhere that on any given day, 70% of a community has not been on a school campus. We think everybody goes to school. That's not true. A lot of people, their kids are gone, um, you know, and, and so I think it's important to connect with the community through nonprofits, you know, we're a big partner with AIM and United Way and uh, all those kind of entities. We have a lot of our staff on their boards, uh, you know, to work. And, you know, because 
you know, strong schools make strong communities and vice versa. So it's kind of a, a, a partnership um, that people should take pride in. And, and we've expressed that to the county with economic development. You know, we're, we're pretty good salesmen here that anytime they, and they've asked us to do that. We've talked to different groups that they're trying to recruit businesses. This is what we offer as schools. You know, that's one of the reasons AIT was built. You know, look, look what we can do to help you have workers in the future. So it's, um, I think we're very fortunate here in Anderson to uh, have a very positive relationship with our local delegation, with the county council, and with, and with the uh, city council. One of the things, one of the, one of the goals when I got here from the board was, look, we, you know, we've got to build these relationships, and I think we've built them all the way to Columbia. We have a great relationship with the governor, um, his staff, and um, and then our legislative delegation have been great to work with. Uh, we I don't want to go too far without skipping over football. How's football look coming in? Any new coaches? Anything new people will notice in football teams this year? There's no new head coaches. There's new assistants at um, uh, you know at both schools. Uh, I think both of them are going to be very competitive. Um, you know, West Side is. Um, from what Coach Early told me, they don't have as much depth as they would like, but neither does anybody. I think Hannah's going to be very strong this year. I think both of them, and what I like best, they're not in the same classification anymore. At West Side's 4A, Hannah's 5A. So that allows – so technically we could win two state championships, one in 4A and one in 5A, which – I'd probably retire if that happens and just go ahead out in the sunset. Right here first. Yeah, but uh, they, um, you know, I've talked to both coaches and, and ADs. Uh, they, they seem very positive. As you know, both ADs are retiring after next year, and we've hired an assistant ADs to come in and work with the schools. And, and I want to thank. Is that an unusual model? I, I noticed y'all are doing that. Is that an unusual? Yeah, model? it's unusual. And I want to thank our Board of Education for supporting it. And what our position was look how far we've come athletically in the last seven or eight years. I mean, I, I, and it wasn't me, it was a team effort. And let's don't drop the ball because, you know, you make one or two wrong hires in any business. You know, you can go from uh, – it's like that song by Frank Sinatra, you're, you're on top in May and you're on the bottom in June and, uh, or April and May, whatever the song says. But, you know, you make a wrong hire and it can, it can spiral quick. And so we want to make sure people that are coming in to replace people, um, you, know, uh, you know, understand the culture, understand where we're going – and and I think our board was very supportive of that, which um, I think speaks highly of them. Uh, instructionally, you know, we, we know next year is going to be a huge challenge. Uh, our staff is working extremely hard. Um, and, and this is what – these are the challenges I think we're going to – I know we're going to have. We're going to have kids that when COVID hit were in the fourth grade. And they went home. We shut down. And say if they were virtual in the fifth grade, now they're going to go to middle school, and they haven't been in a school since the fourth grade, and so they left a small elementary, and now they're going to go to a middle school. 
with kids they don't know, they've been out of touch with, and the same with uh, a student who's in the seventh grade. Say if they were virtual in the eighth, now all of a sudden they're going to be at Hanna or Westside. Well, that's a big adjustment. It's a big adjustment at best, you know, when, when things, everything's there. So, you know, what I've told our staff, and we'll tell them again, you know, we got to be flexible. We got to be patient. We got to understand there are going to be a lot of issues that kids are going to bring with them. Uh, that some are going to be, they've been at home, and, you know, these social emotional things are going to be real. And we've got to have our counselors, our social workers. And main thing, we got to be flexible that if, especially in elementary, to move students from one group to another, to meet their needs, not lock them into a schedule. You know, you know, this is your teacher, you know, um, and we've got to be more flexible in understanding than we've ever been. So that, and then we're going to have a lot of students. We've had some anecdotal evidence where some students, virtual did a great job for a lot of kids, but for a lot of kids it didn't. And we've had some students that we know tested in the 99th percentile virtually. But when we brought them into the building to test them last spring, they were in the 6th percentile. And so, you know, whether people were doing their assessments online for them, we do know there were some issues there. We had one group that 57 kids tested gifted. When we tested them in the school, only five did. So that shows you what's that, what, what the challenge is instructionally. And, and, and I've, told, I've, I've told our staff, and I'll tell our teachers at the back to school, it's going to take all we've got this year. All, the hardest we've ever worked in public education will be this coming school year. It, it will make last year look like a piece of cake because of what is coming. Then when you put on top of that, we don't know what this virus is going to do. Now, we're proud that we have 72% of our employees vaccinated. We do know that. We don't know how many students are vaccinated. I encourage them all to get vaccinated. In fact, we did a bonus for those that uh, got the vaccine by a certain date, got a $500 bonus. And that moved our needle up about 14 or 15% that were vaccinated. And I sent an email yesterday encouraging folks, you know, you know, get the vaccine. I can't mandate it. I can't make you. But, um, you know, the vaccine, I'm, and as I said, you know, I'm just glad the political arena wasn't around vaccines when we developed polio and smallpox, you know. We still have our scars. Yeah, exactly. We still have our scars. If we hadn't, if, if, the, if the political climate had been the same around polio, a lot of people my age would have had polio. Because in the 50s when I was born and, you know, we started getting the vaccine at school. And, and y'all have always had requirements yeah. for kids coming in to have had certain inoculations and yeah. vaccines. Is that correct? That's correct. And there are some opt-outs for religion or whatever. But um, And then we require all our employees to have a, a TB test. And, you know, the way I equate it is this. We have, why do we have a law you got to wear seatbelts to save lives? 
that's the way I look at the vaccine is to save lives. Now, I, you know, everybody can do what they want to do. I've been vaccinated. Um, I, I, you know, I tell people I'm bulletproof. And But what concerns me in all seriousness, if we have a teacher who is not vaccinated and they're at the shoulder of a child teaching them how to read and, they, they're, and they've got it and they don't know it, and now all of a sudden we start spreading it to kids and we can't require them to wear masks. We can't, you know, the protection that we had last year as far as masks is gone. So, you know, we're just encouraging people you know, think about others. Um, you know, we can get through this. If you look at the numbers in the United States, we had one of the highest death rates per capita of civilized, of, of, of uh, not civilized, but, you know, um, first world countries. And, you know, why is that? So, uh, but whatever comes our way, we'll deal with. Um, we have ordered more masks just in case. Something comes out where we do have to wear them, provide them. Um, but, you know, we just, we just hope a lot of students get it, particularly athletes. My own grandson's 13. He's getting it. Um, he plays sports in Atlanta. But it's going to be an interesting year. And um, I, I hope for the best. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Do you know how many students you lost? I mean, people who might have been on the fringes before this and now are just sort of... No, we don't know yet. We do, we do believe our enrollment will be down. Uh, some will opt out for homeschool. We've had some parents that say, well, what are my options? I don't want to go face-to-face. -face. Well, there's, there's SC virtual school. There's homeschool. There's private schools. Um... You know, we just think the best place is for students to be in the classroom, be face-to-face. -face. And, um, you know, but we, we, we do think our enrollment will be down, but we just don't know how much. We've kind of held our, um, our hiring, you know, pretty close to the vest, you know, you know, because we right now our numbers look very small. So if more come, you know, we got a lot of elementary schools may have 15 kids. Well, a classroom. Well, if you know, if we pick up four or five more, we're okay. And uh, just to keep some wiggle room. Um, but we're uh, we're excited. We've we've hired a lot of good folks. Uh, we still have a few vacancies. We always have vacancies in transportation, uh, those kind of things. But so there's always a need for bus drivers. Yeah, absolutely. And. Um, the food service people had quite a challenging year, and they're back now. They're still everybody still eats free this year. Is that that's correct? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a, na a statewide thing. It's national, I think. National, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Everybody eats free, which for years I thought everybody should eat free anyway. Um, and um, so our, our food service during during the shutdown <clears throat> from March of what was it nineteen. You know, when we shut down in March till we opened back up in last September, um, it was, we delivered just a few thousand short of a million meals. You know, that was impressive. Um, where we drove and delivered and people picked them up and those kind of things. So we're, all that's a little more back to normal. They're glad to be back in the cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, they, they did yeoman's work. 
Well, you said smaller, but remind people that District 5 is the largest district by far. And tell people how many students, how many teachers, how many schools, that kind of thing. We have approximately 13,500 students, a little over 2,000 what I call W-2 employees. Now, we contract with a lot of other people that are 1099 for different things, but we, we have a little over 2,000 W-2 employees. Um, and in public school, what the general public may not know, that we are a very labor-intensive business. You know, in every school district, basically, between 80 to 90% of all the money goes for salaries because we are a very labor-intensive. You know, it's not electric bill it's not you know vehicles it's it's for people and uh and that's what i've you know and, and the better people you hire the better school district you're gonna have and uh and that's what we try to do is is you know i've never seen a school progress that number one didn't have an effective teacher in each classroom and number two didn't have an effective leader the principal and you got to have that and we're very fortunate to have some very talented principals here um, that could go be superintendent somewhere if they wanted to but they 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 chose to stay here in this community and and and, um, and and take care of our town so it's um you know we're very we're very fortunate and what our philosophy is, we'll interview people. Our goal is just to hire the best. And and whoever that is is who we hire. And because that's the only way you can move a school forward. And some people may not know, can you remind people what schools are in this district? Yeah, well, the two flagships are Hannah and Westside. And then we have uh, four middle schools. Uh, Robert Anderson uh, feeds Westside. And then we have McCants and Glenview feed Hannah. And then we have Southwood Academy of the Arts that kind of kids go to both uh, once they get out of the eighth grade. And then um, I knew you were going to make me name all the elementary schools. Um, <laughs> I'll try here. We got on the west side, we got Centerville, New Prospect, McLeese, Varennes, Homeland Park, um, that, I'll edit this down. Yeah, that feed in. We got the home part. Yeah, that feed into West Side. On the Hannah side, of course, you've got Concord, North Point, Midway, Nevitt Forest, Calhoun, uh, Whitehall goes to West Side. That's one I left off. Um, they go. Those others go to Hannah. Then we have the Adult Ed Center, which is at the old North Anderson Elementary School, where I went to elementary school. And then we have the uh, Ream Center, which is the old boys high, that is our non-traditional programs, as I mentioned earlier. The alternative school, bridge, uh, the charter school, personalized learning center. And, and South Fanton West Market, or our early learning centers. And AIT, don't forget. Yeah, and AIT, thank you. Well, just say that, because so, I don't, you know. Yeah. Just make, make a statement, say, and Anderson Institute of Technology. And, and of course, Anderson Institute of Technology, which serves all students, not only in District 5, but in Districts uh, 3 and 4. 
coming into this, you talked about the challenges for the schools and the districts. How much more important is it this year for, for parents to get involved? Even and it's always been important, but is it even more crucial this year during this transition for parents to stay in touch with teachers and schools? And yeah, in fact, we uh, we got a meeting next week with principals, and we're going to do some things that, that we want our particularly our elementary schools to be consistent on um, what are we calling COVID keepers. Like for example, you know, we'll still we'll have assembly programs and all that stuff. We don't know how many how much we're gonna allow people into the building during the day, you know, to go eat lunch with somebody, you know, because we really you know, we, we want to be consistent with it, but on the other hand, we want to be able to stay focused on what we gotta do. And and that was one of the benefits last year actually. We had such limited disruptions in a school that the face-to-face -face kids, it was game on every day. Uh, you know, when we didn't have pep rallies, we didn't do all that. Now, we're going to do more of that, but we don't want to just go, like, immediately back to wide open, come on in, everybody, because that does create disruptions. Um, you know, we, we're going to go back and eat in the cafeteria. We're, last year we ate in classrooms. So a lot of those things, you know, parents can go to field day, parents can go to honors day. Uh, but we want to kind of be realistic about what our mission is. And But I, to answer your question, they need to stay in touch with parents, you know, with teachers. Email uh, is a good way to do it. Phone call, counselors, you know, if they need to make an appointment with a counselor or the principal, make it. And parents contact me, and I say, you know, if you talk to the, first of all, if you talk to the teacher, well, no, well, you need, well, yeah, well, then you need to talk to the principal. You know, they know I, I not, I'm not the big principal here, and you know, just better communication. And I know when I was a, a, a high school principal, I used to tell parents, ninth grade parents, look, get to know your student's counselor, and make sure you know you me the principal because that that's important and um so it's gonna be you know it's gonna be a, a different year it won't be like it was in 2016 but hopefully it won't be like it was last year um but we just you know hope and pray that you know the virus subsides and and more people get vaccinated and we can have a normal existence because i was talking to one of my board members tommy price who you know is the PA announcer for Westside, and we were talking about how ball games last year just didn't feel like ball games. It was just a weird, you know, it was like watching NFL on TV with no fans. They had canned fans cheering and all. It just it wasn't the same vibe. And so, hopefully, this year, bands, cheerleaders, you know, packed stadiums uh, will be the norm and not the exception. And just feed into that finally, uh, what what is the chief way the district communicates with parents and teachers and students and everybody? Well, the principals all use, you know, a messenger system. District-wide, one of our best ways is through social media. Uh, Brooke Cole is our, uh, handles all our social media. She works with Kyle Newton in our communications division. And she posts stuff on social media, Facebook. That's how parents seem to, you know, 
my generation may not be that way, but you know, those 30 year old, 40 year old parents, you know, they'll, um, you know, I've had them, I saw something on social media. Well, if it didn't come from us, it's not official, you know, about school. So she does a good job doing that. We have a great relationship with the news media. Uh, as you know, Kyle Newton works very hard. You know, our, our position has been and will always be, we got nothing to hide. And when bad things are going to happen in schools, be open, be honest. And you know, be forthcoming with the media, and then when good things happen, you know they they want to do a story about it, and uh, so that's kind of the way we operate, and and it's been very positive. Did I miss anything? You have a talking point I missed there. You miss anything? Mm. Mentioned about how we got our back to school. It'd be nice to get everybody back together again this year. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, let's just close with that. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things we're excited about is, is just get everybody back. All our teachers, you know, the virtual teachers, 122 were separated. Uh, now, granted, a lot of them love teaching virtually, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be good just to get them all back, uh, all the kids back. Uh, parents at, at events and ball games and and let school become normal again um you know i think in hindsight looking back most people agree shutting everything down was probably not a good plan uh but you know hindsight's always 2020 you know we, we you know and we were fortunate because when we first shut down we were fortunate because we were the first district in the state to have e-learning you know, we were the the pilot. We were the first one out of the blocks, and and Anna Baldwin and a lot of our staff. So we were way ahead of the game. But e-learning was not intended to be a three-month process. But I, I've, I've made the statement: we were the first, we were the best, but we were the best of a bad lot, and statewide. And now I saw yesterday. 33 additional districts have been approved for e-learning. Um, you hope they all do it with fidelity, but you know it takes a lot of money and a lot of support to do it right. We, we feel like we've done it right. So we feel like if we do have to shut down for a week, we, our e-learning will be robust um, and we'll be able to handle it. Uh, certainly don't want to have to shut down for months again. But you know, you just don't know where this is going. Um, but hopefully, we'll we'll weather the storm, and and it'll be kind of like a seasonal flu thing. And um, we do know that a lot of our people are protected with the vi with the vaccine, and a lot of our students will. Uh, I've had some employees ask me, "Well, you think I should get my 14-year-old the vaccine?" I said, "Well, my grandson's getting it." So. Um, but anyway, it's going to be a fun year. We're going to make it work, and we look forward to our kickoff celebration, and we'd certainly love to invite you there. It's at New Spring on uh, the, tw the 12th at 9 o'clock. You could, you know, we wanted to make it, you know, it's usually where I give that rah-rah speech and all that stuff, and we name a teacher of the year. And our teacher of the year gets a car for a year, and we give different, recognize different people, but... You know, what I want this year to be is a way to recognize all those people in that audience 
that we, you know, they answered the bell. They stood, they stood their guard. Well, around the country and even in the state, when schools weren't opening and teachers were whining and ministering, we can't go back to school. We went back to school, and we were one of the first districts to come out statewide and said, we're going back after Labor Day. And, um, in fact, you know, we were recognized for that by the governor that, that you know, but I, I think it was important to show the courage of our teachers. And we lost a few teachers that said, I can't do it. And we understood that, but the rest of them, they did their duty, and they could be they could be commended for that. And that's one of the reasons that we tried to you know we gave a uh, bonuses last year and vaccine bonuses a way to to thank them as best we could because you know that was that was tough on some of them, and um, and we tried to pair. We had some that had elderly living with them that maybe we, we put them teaching virtually. We tried to make it all work, and I can only think of two or three that said, nothing's gonna work, I can't do it. So hopefully um, we won't have that, but, but my main message to them is thank you for answering the bell when others didn't. Uh, next week I will have an interview with Anderson County School District Superintendent Kathy, Kathy Hipp, who was recently named State Superintendent of the Year and soon I'll have an interview with School District 1 Superintendent Robbie Benneker about the year ahead in their school districts. It's always good to talk to the folks at the head of um, our public schools, and I don't think people appreciate uh, the role of the superintendent and how hard they have to work to keep all the plates in the air, and every single one I've talked to continues to talk about how, does, how do their decisions affect the kids in the classroom, and that's always a good thing. Speaking of good things, Downtown Anderson continues to grow and it's always a good reminder that a lot of the credit for the rebirth of that area over the past almost 25 years is Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, which is consistently named as one of the top 100 restaurants in America and that does not surprise any of us who eat there regularly. Bill Nickerson, his late wife, wife Sabra, opened Sullivan's when downtown was practically a ghost town when it came to food or even retail establishments. And he came in and brought a vision that kicked off a renaissance of progress that continues today in downtown. From his signature dinner entrees, um, try the steak this week if you haven't done that lately. Uh, and of course, the grouper's always there in the other signature dishes. Or the top lunch treats, which I always mention, no matter what time of year it is, the open-faced pot roast sandwich is my go-to there. Nobody beats Sullivan's when it's time for a good meal. And the same great food is available to you for your special event, family, corporate, uh, wedding, with white tablecloth catering at prices that compare to far less elegant and far less tasty competitors. So if you've not tried Sullivan's lately, give them a try this week and tell them you heard about it on the Anderson Observer podcast, news from people you trust. Another piece of news from downtown is the naming of the new director of the Anderson County Office of Voter Registration and Elections. Laura Booth is no stranger to the office, having served in leadership in the office for nearly 15 years, and she told me she is ready to follow the legacy that uh, recently retired director Katie Smith left as she brings her new leadership to a role which is leading one of the most influential voting offices in the state. You have been here a long time and now you're in charge, but let's, let's let people get to know you a little bit first, Laura. Tell people where you're from and where you grew up and all this kind of stuff. Okay, um, I'm Laura Booth and I grew up actually in Pendleton, South Carolina. I've been living in Belton, South Carolina since 2016. I'm married with three kids and moved down there and plan to stay in Belton. 
And your family, I know, is from the area. I think my mom and your, one of your grandparents grew up together yes. on the Mill Hill in the France. They so your did. family's roots are deep here. Yes, my father's from um, La France, South Carolina. My mother's actually from Highlands, North Carolina. And when you were growing up, did you ever think you'd be working for the elections, <laughs> voter registration and elections office? No, that was not ever in my scope of what I wanted to do. So no, I've never thought about it. Never knew this would actually be a, a job as it is until I got older. And, and tell me a little bit about that path. How did you get here? Because you've been here a good while. I have. I've been here for 14 years. Um, I originally started with the county working in family court, um, stayed there for a couple of years and had a friend tell me about this job. I know it's unnatural, but you're rocking. You're going <laughs> okay. back and forth. It'll just look funny when it comes out of your <laughs> I didn't even realize it. I know you don't. It's like the same. Some people do this when they're yeah. talking the whole time. I need to put my feet, separate my feet. I won't do it probably as bad. Okay. okay. So uh, we'll just talk about that. ice again. Um, what path brought you to this, this office? Okay. Um, I started with Anderson County um, working for family court and was there for several years. And then I had a girlfriend that actually came into this office and was telling me, you know, all about what the elections were and everything. Of course, I voted. I've been voting since I was 18. But when a job came open in this office, um, I applied for it, and luckily, I got the position. And what all have you done here over the years? Since I've been hired, um, I've actually been over the voter registration elections, just the voter services part. Um, all the registration in the county, the voter registration, I've been over that. Um, we started out with a very small staff, and we've slowly grown because we've gotten busier and a lot more people are... Um, voting and registering to vote. So we've grown since then, but I've, I've always been over the voter registration services. How has that changed since you came on board? Um, we're a lot more busy now, which is a great thing. That means we have more people registered to vote. Um, it's went from simple systems to technology now that just is hard to keep up with sometimes, but it's part of the process of learning. Um, our voting system's changed since I've been here, so that's been a learning curve, but um, it's, it, it's a good thing. It's changed for the good, but um, it has changed a lot over the years. Is it easier for people to register now than it was when you started? Oh, way easier. Um, when I first started working for registration elections, you could go to the DMV, you come here in person, you could mail a form, or you go to a library or a state agency. Um, now you can do everything from your smartphone. Um, we have the scvotes.gov. Uh, you could send, you know, attachment on your iPhone or your, you know, or your cell phone and email it to us. And we didn't have those options back when I began this job. And as you become a, uh, a, 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 let me reframe that. During your years here, have you grown to where you're encouraging all your friends and family to vote more than you were before? I think so, yes. Um, at first, when I first started working, of course, I got on my family about getting registered to vote because... I did have my, my father and my mother, neither one was registered to vote until I started working here. Um, that just was, they're from that generation that they just didn't do that. Um, but since then, um, especially when someone wants to talk politics, which I do not like to do, but if you're going to mention politics, I always do ask, are you registered to vote? Because I don't want to hear any complaints if you have not registered to vote and you're voting. And that's, is that a challenge to be apolitical as you work here, or you're just used to doing it and you're just, just, just divorced from what you do? I, I think when, I, when I'm in this office and I'm doing my job, I'm so used to separating myself and not having opinions that that's just my job. I'm worried that the law is being upheld and that everyone has the same chance and the right to vote as everyone else. Um, that actually has never been an issue for me. 
And how do you stay on top of the, the changes? Because right now it seems like things are changing faster than ever. They are. The, um, I do read the news, of course, every morning to see if there's anything that I should be warned about before I get to the office. But our state election commission is really good about giving us heads up and letting us know if there's any changes in the forecast that we can prepare for. And are there any changes coming up here in the next year or so that y'all are working to get ready for? Not that I'm aware. There's, there's some things that's um, being talked about in legislation, but they have not became an actual bill yet um, or a law. So as of right now, no, we're sitting steady. Um, we're kind of, I don't want to say smooth sailing, but we, we, we have a good forecast ahead of us right now. And you had a general election now with the new voting machines and the safety regulations and all. Yes. How, how, how well did that go and, and how, how did that help you prepare as we go forward? Do you think it'll be even smoother next time? I do think it'll be smoother. Um, it was a lot on us at one time, getting a new voting system and then having to adhere to COVID-19 um, regulations. It was a lot to ask of our poll managers and our clerks, but we, we went through it. I mean, it was trying times. Everyone was having to learn. We were having to go back and think about things that you've never had to think about before. You've never thought that, hey, I'm within six feet of this person or, you know, they don't have on a mask or we have to have a shield up. That was a brand new ball game to us. I really think that learning the new voting system was easier then adjusting to COVID regulations for us, just because we, we know we, we get these new systems as far as voting, we're trained on it, it's in a book, it's black and white, you learn it. But the COVID thing was kind of up in the air for everybody for a long time. So that, that was really hard on us. And I think it was the first time, we were one of the first, I mentioned this when I talked to Katie about it, to have the cages that locked everything down. It was the most yes. secure election Anderson County's ever had, right? Yes, yes sir. Those cages have been a blessing. Um, we have a cage for every precinct and we keep all the equipment locked in there um, until it's time for us to get ready for the election to program the you know the equipment and then it stays back locked and it goes to the polling places locked and we deliver now and pick up the equipment and sometimes people forget that just because they're not voting for anybody in november doesn't mean nobody's voting this year y'all had a lot of municipal elections and still have some more coming up how do y'all get the word out to people about those um we're, we're going to get more active on our social media that's the plan of mine today. Um, but a lot of it is in the hands of the municipalities. Um, we do let put, you know people know in notices and putting things in the paper. Unfortunately, sometimes it seems to fall on deaf ears. Uh, but as far as getting the word out, um, if we want people to start watching our social media, it's gonna become a lot more active. Well, you've always been good about getting the word out before, even when we talked about elections coming up. You and I have talked before. And uh, tell me, you just mentioned social media. Let's talk about that and some of the other things you have uh, as part of your strategy moving forward as a new director. Um, one of the first things I'm going to address is, is our social media. That's a, a quick you know, way to get the word out from, from your fingertips. That can happen on Saturday morning while I'm sitting on my couch. You know, It's an easy way to get the word out. A lot of people, especially our younger generations, um, they live on their cell phones anyways. If they can follow us, they can know exactly what's going on, what's going to affect them, what's not going to affect them, and what's coming up. Um, I'm also making some plans of getting back out into the community. Like I said earlier with the COVID, um, we have not seen people in person in a long time. And I'm wanting to get back out into the schools, into some of our local colleges and universities, and talk to these people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I would love to get a better relationship with our local government too and get to know them because um, I do not personally know a lot of them 
and just have a good open communication that way if we need something from them or if they need something from us we do have that line of communication already open and just to remind people just very simply if somebody's watching this and they thought i always i meant to register to vote what's the simplest easiest way for them to get registered the simplest way to register to vote is to go to our website the scvotes.gov um, as long as your driver's license is up to date um, it, you, you're maybe on there three minutes at the most. You'll get a card within a week in the mail, and you're good to go. And in terms of getting the word out beyond that, uh, are y'all going to have availability for like civic clubs and stuff if they want to invite y'all to come talk about how you know what y'all are doing and what we can do here? Yes, I welcome the invitation to go speak at any civic you know organization or any group that you know would invite us. I'd love to go and talk one on one and get to know our community better. Um, so yes, send the invites. Now that we're back in person, I'd love to go. And do y'all have any outreaches to the schools? Because some of those kids will be turning 18. And... We do um, prior to last year because of COVID. But prior to that, I went to every high school in the county and even our private schools and spoke to the seniors or the qualifying people, you know, the qualifying students that could get registered to vote. Um, I have went and spoke to some of the government econ classes um, when I got invited just to let them know, you know, this is what to expect, this is what you do, and this is pretty much our voting system in South Carolina. Um, and I look forward to doing that again this year. And is there anything else that's wide open again after being shut down for a year that you can think of? Uh, not that I know, but I, I, I'm looking forward to being wide open. I'm looking forward to having people walk back into the office and getting to talk to people and seeing smiles and us getting to go out in the community. Um, I'm looking very forward to getting back into our schools and our universities in the fall when schools ramp back up and getting to see people again face-to-face. -face. And is having Katie as a resource uh, a really still a valuable thing since you're a new director that you can still just talk to the old director because y'all were friends for a long time? We are, we are friends. Um, I'm very blessed to fall in behind her because she's one of the most organized people I've ever met. Um, she's not here you know, anymore because she got to retire. Good for her. But she left a notebook for everything. Um, earlier this week, I was needing to contact some of our commissioners. I didn't have their contact info. There's a book for that. There's a book for a policy and procedure for everything. Um, and I really appreciate her organization skills. That's made my life a lot easier to step into this role. And the staff here has been pretty consistent. Y'all have had pretty much the same core for a long time, right? We have. I mean, every once in a while, we have a newbie come through. But we have a, a good, great, excellent staff that's... Um, works well together. We've already been through 2020 and probably 2016 mostly together. So we work well together. We know each other and our staff's very educated in what they do. And coming into the months ahead, people can expect to see a lot more of you then since you're talking about getting out to let them know about the elections coming up this year and then next year again. Yes, because this is, this is a slow year for us. Um, speaking as far as elections go, we do have some municipalities that's having their general elections in November. But this is the time of the year or the years that I get to go out into the public or our staff gets to go out into the public. Um, come election year, when we're doing elections back to back, we don't have that luxury. So I want to take advantage of that time now to go ahead and get out there and get into our communities because next year and definitely 2024, we'll be in this office all the time. And if people want to invite somebody out, how do they get in touch with y'all? Or what do they do to get in touch with you? Sure, give us a call. Our number is 864-260-4035. Um, let us know what, you know what the organization is and what you need out of us. And if we can, we'd be more than happy to accommodate you. If you're not registered to vote, it's easier than ever. Visit scvotes.org. It'll take you less than five minutes to get registered to vote. 
And South Carolina is currently in the process of redrawing election districts, and that's state offices, county offices, and it's going to be very significant because there'll be some big changes in the Anderson County state and local district voting lines. And tentative plans have been offered that say a new map might be ready by fall, but that's unlikely since census results, at least the official ones, have been delayed. But when it does happen, it will bring big changes throughout the state and throughout the county. So pay attention to that, and we'll follow up with it here on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Also, in case you missed it over the past week, the historic Robert Anderson Fountain, which spent most of the last century on the square downtown, if you grew up in Anderson, you remember the fountain being downtown, has been disassembled and taken to Charleston, where it, uh, the restoration firm that restored the CSS Hunley Civil War submarine will take over and, and completely refurbish it. The fountain was built in 1906 and moved into storage in 1993 during the construction of the new county courthouse, which is now, what, 35 years old? The um, 25 years old. Reports vary about the level of storage over the years, but the bulk uh, of, of information I found is that the fountain was essentially sitting in a field when it was moved to the Anderson County Museum and reassembled in 2002. The iconic fountain has continually suffered from rust and need for repair because of its age, but it should be back in its full glory on the museum grounds within 18 months, so that'll be great for all of us to see that thing completely restored the way it was supposed to be because it's been a long time since it's been in that condition, and I'm glad uh, that Beverly Charles and the folks at the museum took the initiative to get this done. Finally, if you know people who have not yet been vaccinated, it's time to get that shot. Uh, Anderson County is 35th overall in the state when it comes to COVID vaccination rates, with only the over 65 age group with a rate of more than 65% vaccinated. There's a surge of this virus variant that's already spreading across the state and nation, and locally here too. We went from zero hospitalizations a couple of weeks ago to we now we've got over 20. And we're still in the summer months, which last year brought a lull as well. So we can expect when cool weather gets here, those who are not vaccinated are going to be at risk and maybe putting others at risk. Um, how many vaccinations we get may determine whether or not in-person schools will be open when the holidays roll around. And the arguments against vaccinations are just not very compelling and they lack scientific fact. So the shots are there and they're free. And maybe if South Carolina joined other states that offered rewards or, or bonuses, uh, we'd see that rate increase. I know school, Anderson School District 5 offered $500 bonuses to employees who got vaccinations and it very much boosted their vaccination rate. So I'd like to see something like that happen too. But if not, consider this one more request to those who have not yet been vaccinated or know those who you might get encouraged to vaccinate to get out and get those shots. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Join me next time, but until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place.